0: Log Talk Radio. King Way, Fox Beard, Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Crystal's wife, Klingons and the
1: afterlife. Boimler, Murder, dog, Ransom is very hard. for drive, Black
0: Alert, Georgio has gone berserk. left, an idiot, Wolf is red. See this cat, that you had said enough of that. Beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We, we talk about, about the series. You're coming to you on now. We talk about the series. We'll 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 Well,
2: good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. But that theme song, it's time for another awesome episode of Trek Talk. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Welcome to the podcast. We have a great show planned for you guys tonight. We have a busy show. We're going to be talking to Noah Aberbatch-Cats again. We're going to be talking about Disco Does d and D a a little bit later. So if you're a and d fan or if you just like the Blue and Andorian, you want to stick around for that. Our phone number is 646-668-2433. Have your questions ready. Give us a call and ask away. But wait, there's more. We're up to um, Fireside Chat number three. Three. Um, we were supposed to do number three last week, but we had some issues and had to move it up to this week. So even though this is our fourth week of the Fireside Chats, we're technically only doing the third one. And uh, Paul and Eric are going to be talking about Cardassian Canar. So you definitely, if you're a wine connoisseur, you want to hang around. For that one, because that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we also have with us in the studio, as usual, Craig Spurrier from Star Trek Wine as well. So you guys want to stick around for that? And we have an extra special guest joining us. We have Spencer Brewer as well. So um, we're going to have a lot of wine discussion. So. Please hang out for that. We have our Star Trek news and Star Trek calendar, Star Trek birthdays, and of course, we're going to b- talk about Star Trek Discovery, um, the, the Great Barrier, which was last week's episode. So we got a lot to talk about. So let's not keep things too slow and dive right in. Um, I want to talk to uh, Eric. Oh, we lost him again. Nope. Uh, Charles, Charles is out in uh, Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles?
3: I'm um, doing good. Trying to enjoy the roller coaster of weather we're having.
2: Roller coaster
3: weather. We're looking winter. we're looking high seventies today. We're looking roughly bound to about fifties on Sunday.
2: Wow. Wow, we had about it's three inches get... of snow last night. It's cold up here in Vermont. And let me see. I think we finally got Eric back. Eric, can you hear us?
0: I can certainly hear you. You hear me? Sounds yeah, a little choppy. Oh. Uh, okay. Oh, I, audio I, I,
2: I'll fix those. I still can't hear Eric. Okay. Well. Eric. Okay. Well, we'll wait. we we'll wait for Eric to uh, to get everything going. So what we're going to do is we're just going to dive right into our Star Trek wine segment while Eric is trying to work on his. Um, technical difficulties so uh what i think i'm going to do here um let's do things a little bit backwards here um yeah so let's just dive right in um to our star trek wines section and then we'll talk to um well hopefully eric will be back we'll talk to spencer and we'll talk to greg so first first guys i have to play for you this excellent spot which eric put together for us We're going to talk about something we know
4: you're going to love, Star Trek Wines. We've been following Star Trek Wines since they launched about four or five years ago. Every year they come out with two new and authentic products. Fans of the original series, Deep Space Nine, The Next Generation, and the new Picard series will recognize several of these amazing Star Trek Wines from each series. The entire Star Trek Wines collection celebrates some of Star Trek's most enduring legacies, Jean-Luc Picard, the Klingon Empire, Cardassian culture, and the United Federation of Planets. Right now, Star Trek Wines is featuring its full collection, all six bottles in an interplanetary six-pack called the Full Armada, a must-have for any Star Trek fan. Over the next six weeks, we're going to sample and explore each wine and talk to the creators about how they put these wines together. These wines are rich in detail, including individually numbered bottles, hand-wax-dipped enclosures, 3D-rendered bottles created from the original props used on the shows, and even a blue Chardonnay. Liner notes crafted by writer Una McCormick for historical accuracy are all part of the package. The elegant Chateau Picard Old World French Cru Bordeaux is produced by and imported from the real Chateau Picard in France. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sampling and reviewing the full collection as well as looking into the newest wines just released in 2021, an Andorian Blue Special Reserve Chardonnay, which features a United Federation of Planets metal medallion, silk screen designs, and a stellar blue wine sought after throughout the galaxy. We'll also do a deep dive in the legendary Cardassian Kanar, long considered one of the Holy Grail collectibles in the Star Trek universe. So join us as we go behind the scenes with the team
2: behind Star Trek Wines. So each week, uh, Paul and Eric crack open a different bottle of the Armada, and they do a full taste test. And what they do is they pare that down to about a 10- or 15-minute condensed version, which we're going to play for you guys shortly here. But you can tune in on Sunday night where I play the full, usually it's about an hour and a half of them going through the whole thing. So if you guys want to hear the full on abridged version, you can tune in on Sunday night for that. But before I play that, I want to let you guys know, I want to send a huge shout out and a gigantic thank you to Heather. Um, because my wife is a huge Picard fan. She absolutely loves, loves Captain Picard and when we started doing this wine I wanted a bottle of blood wine I'm a Klingon fan so I had Heather send me some blood wine and my wife was like well why didn't you get Picard I said well because Picard's not a Klingon Duh. so anyways I, I emailed Heather and I said look my wife just just loves Picard could you send me a bottle of Picard for my wife well I didn't tell my wife that I had asked Heather to do that and we were sitting down last night watching the premiere of Star Trek Picard. And at about 8 o'clock, there's a knock on my door. My dog starts barking. And we're like, who's coming to the door at 8 o'clock at night? And it was the UPS man with the bottle of Picard for my wife. And she was ecstatic. She, she had to open it up and put it right up on the shelf. And here we are watching Star Trek Picard. And he's at his vineyard with all the bottles of Chateau Picard. And my wife had her very own bottle. So she was totally totally thrilled, and I just wanted to send out a huge thank you uh, to Heather for making that happen and making my wife so happy. So thank you so much Heather for doing that for me. All right guys, so I just want to play for you. This is the Canar with Paul and Eric, and then we're going to talk to Greg and uh, Spencer about went into designing the bottle and the wine and the whole nine yards. So please enjoy.. <music>
4: Welcome to the United Fermentation of Planets, where no glass has gone before. So we have joining us today uh, Mr. Goldicott himself. Uh, he is another one of our Playmates figures, is that true? That is correct. That is true, another one of our Playmates figures, and he is here to help us enjoy uh, what Star Wines.com calls the Holy Grail of uh, Star Trek collectibles, um, which is this Cardassian Canar. Uh, there's no question. This bottle is unbelievable.
5: It is amazing. It is amazing. And it, from what I understand, right, it's, it sounds like they really researched the heck out of this stuff, which doesn't surprise me because they've been really accurate on all these things. But uh, I believe this is uh, tip of the hat to the uh the bottle that you saw, I think, in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. like in Quarks is where you first saw that's it, I believe, right? right? It's not, definitely not the first reference to K N R but it's, that's, that's the thing about the Kardashians, right? In the, the run of all the stuff on the show, or all the shows, right? I think it was The Wounded it was the first Next Generation episode where they show up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really cool scene in, like, Ten Forward where uh, Miles O'Brien is sitting down with, like, a Cardassian soldier, right? And they both got that chip on their shoulder mm. from previous battles and stuff like that. But the Cardassian sits down at the bar. What the he order? Cardassian Canar. Canar right? Exactly. And it's, it's, that's the very first appearance of the Cardassians in the universe, right, that we know. And they kind of took it from there. So really, really cool. Um, it's kind of like a encircling serpentine kind of vibe, right? Which I think is appropriate for the sort of reptilian vibe Cardassians, right? It is screaming the I Dream of Genie bottle, okay? I mean, <laughs> it's, I can hear Larry Hagman going, Genie, where is my keys, Genie? You know, <laughs> And I know that may seem inappropriate, or but I can make a, uh, a "I Dream of Genie Star Trek connection. Are you able to do this? Uh, I'd love to hear you. Okay, I'm fine. I'm ready to do it because right. on "I Dream of Genie, right, uh, the blue genie. Okay. Right, I believe he was the blue genie. I think is what he called him. He was like a sort of nefarious, misunderstood, you know, male genie. Right, was played uh, by Michael Ansara. Right, really intense-looking actor, and uh, not only. Was he married to Barbara Eden, Jeannie herself? But in the classic original series episode "Day of the Dove," ready for it, he played Kang. Oh, the Klingon. did he really? Yes, he did. So, and he was great. He's like you know. The one who is just completely... Yeah. You know, we grow annoyed at your foolishness, Kirk. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I had no idea there was an I Dream of Genie Star Trek. Game. There you go. I mean, it's the 60s. On, uh, you know, <laughs> There's only so many actors. Everybody's working with everybody <laughs> back then, right? I mean, this is only a couple of backlots in L.A., right? It's the 60s, and everyone's out of their minds, right? They're yeah, you know, yeah. like totally uh, anything is possible. So I think it was pretty, uh, pretty crazy times. But uh, this totally evokes that, and it's just great. I think they... Uh, from what I, I read someplace, these, these cats went out of their way to find the, the bottles were originally made in Italy, like really rare, and they... They went out of their way to recreate them, right? To so. to make yeah. it so as as, as much fealty to what was really seen in quarks That's right. As, as possible, which is really amazing. I mean, that's some serious fan love from the folks at, at this company here. And the, on the top of the cap, what do you got going on there? On the top here, of course, we
4: have the the Cardassian logo that is in the shape of one of their uh, Galler class uh, ships. You know that you see hanging up behind their various desks and things like that, and then there's there are a series of kind of other logos that are on a, a clear plastic wrap that kind of goes around the bottom of the bottle. So rather than the um, logos and uh, you know kind of health information <laughs> being being printed right on the bottle, um, it's kind of wrapped. So I actually kind of like that because although if you were to take this plastic off, you might lose this
5: logo? I'm betting you wouldn't. Yeah. But I I know, I can see, I can see, this is great, friends, because it's Eric's collector's reluctance to take the, this is, I think, this is, we have to make it so that every episode we've done, we say the word sheath, because I think you say said it just a <laughs> minute. There they protect the sheath around everything here. But it's yeah. just like he's like, I don't want to you know I make really it, less, it less off. collectible. I want to leave it like it is. So it just, just is so amazing the way it is. Leave I the d- search of General's warning on there. It,
4: but, it uh, would look maybe a little better with the plastic off, so who knows. So this bottle also comes with uh, a set of liner notes um, that are kind of strapped around oh. the back of the bottle. Um, oh. which none of the other bottles have come with. It's got a fantastic, you know, Cardassian kind of um almost like Art Deco looking yeah. style art uh, on the front of it, which is really, really nice It's in a
5: weird way. It looks like the Delta Shield, right? Well, it looks like a, a Delta bit?
4: Shield, and it also kind of is evocative of Mandalorians to me. Yeah, it's a little it. threatening. <laughs> I would say it's a
5: threatening thing here. Yeah. And uh and I, I want to say that I read someplace that the liner notes were written by, like, a prominent Star Trek novelist, um, you know, I, I believe, right? Right here. Correct? It's actually a
4: friend of the show. Shout out. She, she has been on before, uh, and she was something else. We, we had her on all the way from England. Uh, Una McCormick contributed to the liner notes here for the Cardassian Wow, art.
6: That's phenomenal.
4: Yeah. Um, so this says number 205. I wonder if these are individually numbered bottles like the other one. I didn't look that up, but it does say number 205 up. So oh, no, sure
5: that that's means. really that's impressive. All right,
4: well, shall we? I think we should. Uh, let's see here. There. You there,
5: may need a, uh, a cutter. I believe I'm well, gonna give it. you a cutter right cutter. here. Oh so just this again. is the, the moment we've we We are really through. going for injury-free. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of
4: funny because the plastic here is clear and the glass is clear. And so it's actually kind of hard to see like where the plastic is and ends. is there actual cork
0: in there or is well, it
5: acrylic i
4: am because i don't see cork i see zero cork here i'm really fascinated with how this is actually going to shake out i'm uh, absolutely massacring this plastic here it's coming off a little bit there we
5: go there we go okay you have done well Oh my gosh! what do we do here? All right. do we just kind of take this off? seems like it just squeezes out,
4: yeah, wow, look at that! Okay, so it's a uh all glass cap
7: wow. with a
5: rubber gasket on it very interesting yeah that's that's oh look, look at this look underneath. There oh! That is cool. That is again, cool. if you look beneath, it's like sort of magnified to the bottom of the glass stopper, looking like, which probably no one ever would have think to look at, right? There it is. There's that Cardassian shield emblem, the Gaylor glass symbol again. Incredible. Uh, really nice bit of detailing in there. It's and the colors like, are really vibrant, it's got that green and kind of orange uh, color that really pops through that glass. Yeah. Again, it's kind of thing, it's like... Would, do you need to put that there? Is there? No. It's it would, uh, the, Probably 2% of people notice it. Probably not. But it's that extra attention to detail that really shows up. We've noticed that on all these bottles. The presentation is just super extreme, very detailed. So let's pour a little bit. Captions. This
4: bottle pours really.
5: It's a, a look at that. And it makes a crazy sound, doesn't uh, it? Because it's kind of it, like it, a
1: tornado. Because yeah. it's
5: so circular yeah. and has all these different chambers to it, right? I yeah. mean, in terms of the indentations, it makes a wacky... Yeah. We're not going to recreate that now. On the next pour, listen to that, friends. You'll hear all kinds of a gurgling happening. The same sound a Cardassian gull makes as he's swallowing, I believe. Absolutely. That's what they're trying to evoke. So, Well, my friend, here we are. Cheers. Once again. insane really? legs i mean look at that that's just like nuts oh, on the side of the glass there um really good st- i'll just first impressions uh because you know it's going to change after it's been open a little mm-hmm. and again this is like i'm trying to remember this particular vintage this is is a 2000 i don't
0: think they've
4: actually
5: listed can't vintage on these but 2021 whatever it may be i can't i'm not
0: I'm remember,
5: see but it's I just but so it's going to change once it's been open for a while, but wow, that's a great first impression for me, um, being a big Cabernet lover. I mean, it's it's pretty rich and it's full got, it's body. It's pretty rich, and, and that's why I've, like the first thing I read in it was the more merlot side of things is it's so rich. Ah. And Merlot gets a bad rap sometimes, right? You know, if you've ever seen a movie Sideways with Paul Giovanni, is like, oh, and, you know, it's like dismissive, right? But, <laughs> but it can be a really great thing, right? I'm probably not going to go seek out 100% Merlot or whatever, right? But to temper something, mm-hmm. right? And then I want to say that it's the Syrah in here as well. And Syrah is another big, you know, strong, structured, well-balanced tannin varietal, right? You put those things together. It's it's great because I think it makes it so that it, this isn't too fruit forward or too strong. I mean, I get like a, mm-hmm. I get blueberry. I don't know if that's me, but okay. I I get a little hint of like you know blueberry pancakes almost, right? Which interesting because I was more like cranberry. Cranberry. Yeah, you know, like okay. it. I can get I can see that as well, right? Because yeah. it's got that tartness, right? And it's got some some acidity to it, but uh-huh. really pleasingly so. Right. I can see why it's the favorite of gulls across the, uh... (laughs) The community.
4: So they say Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Petit Syrah, and Petit Bordeaux.
5: Petit Syrah and Petit Bordeaux. Okay. Okay, so no straight Syrah. Mm-mm. Petit Syrah and Petit Bordeaux. Okay, interesting. And, and
4: you said blueberries, and uh, their advertisement says uh, ripe blackberries and juicy
0: blueberries. Blueberries,
5: okay. Uh, velvety
4: tannins and a long, delightful finish, which I would agree uh, the long, delightful finish. It uh, kind of laughs with you a little bit. Uh, the color is way more on the purple end of things
5: than uh rolling... very purple. Yeah. Yeah, like uh like purple purple. Like yeah, like the insomniac. <laughs> Not like
6: Joker purple, like but... part of
5: part of Lando Calrissian's cloak purple. I, I mean like yeah. really really like very plum. Very plum <laughs> is right. what I get from it, right? As it's... we both look around the room trying to find what's
1: purple reference. <laughs>
5: Well, this is not disappointed the longer it's been open, this canar, I will say. Um, it's gone all the way down to the bottom of the spiral section of the bottle. Yeah. Just the bulb left. And uh, I will say,
4: to me, the flavor hasn't, it's evolved. It hasn't drastically changed. Like the, it uh, felt like the bloodline. Remember how it punched you in the face? Oh, yeah. And it was like super mellow about an hour later? Yeah. This is more consistent with what it was like when we first opened it, of course mellowing, you know, just with, what, introduction of oxygen or whatever. Yeah,
5: but yeah, I like it. This is another winner, friends, without question. I'm liking it a little bit more over time, to tell you the truth. I like it better now than I think I did an hour ago. And what would you say the difference is, in terms of, like, the taste or the effect on your palate now versus at that previous hour? So what's changed? What I'm personally noticing is
4: it, it almost did like the opposite of what the other two did, which was come forward with that sweeter taste and then have it kind of get mellower or drier over time. This one started out, I, the tannins, I think, were yeah. really forward for me. Too acidic at first. At first. You're saying? Okay. Yeah, maybe, yeah, for my palate. And then as time has gone by, the flavor has become more complex to me. And I'm tasting more of the fruity stuff kind of behind all of that dryness and getting of more things. of that blueberry a little bit yeah like that last tip i just took was really sweet around the edges of my tongue interesting yeah very interesting what's your take on how it's changed over time
5: yeah i feel if anything it's uh the structure of it's been really consistent for me it hasn't changed a tremendous amount yeah uh, Make sure I'm being clear about what I speak. Um, yeah, I think if anything, it uh, some of the things have subdued themselves a little bit, uh, but I feel it's just really solid structure. It's really consistent. I'm still getting those that nice hint of berry to it that I like, that that blueberry flavor, mm-hmm. um, but not pronounced over berry. It's not something that you feel is like you know too sweet. It's solid. Right, it's got that nice richness to it. Um, it's long finishing. It's hearty. It's mm-hmm. velvety. It's got depth to it, and uh, and to me, and and pleasantly dry, you know, in all the right ways. So uh, I like it. It's a good structure. Holds up really well. It was fun to do a road show.
1: It really was. It
4: was fun to be here in your in your toy cave of amazingness. And thank you so much, for, Paul, for all your. You know knowledge on the line and just like I don't
5: know I just like hanging out with you too oh, <laughs> well thanks man
0: <laughs> thanks it's been fun
5: so yeah yeah and I promised to provide some visual uh, you know uh, narration so you can see what this nonsense was like people wondering what this room's like they need to see a glimpse that's so. amazing we'll oh, get a couple that that. we'll get a couple photos up on the website or something yeah sweet sounds
2: good thank you so much Paul all right man energized All right. So, Eric, what can you tell us about the
4: bottle? Oh, man, the bottle is the most amazing bottle you can possibly imagine. Uh, it has a spiral shape to it. So so for anybody who's ever tried to wash out a bottle, you know how you kind of like do the little swish to sort of make a vortex and empty the bottle as you rinse it out? This bottle has a natural spiral to it, and the spiral is completely evocative of the, uh, the collarbones of a Cardassian. Um, they look very reptilian, they're sort of ridged, they are, they pop out, they're kind of pronounced. And so when you look at the bottle, it, to me, it's a natural translation to the, the way that the Cardassian physiology actually looks. Um, So really amazing bottle, and it makes that, like we were uh, talking about in the recording, when you first pour, it makes that really amazing kind of like clunky, gurgly sort of sound, Um, and that is all because of the shape of the bottle. So the bottle is both beautiful when it has the wine in it, uh, which I was able to enjoy, and then once the bottle is empty... Uh, it still looks amazing. Uh, I actually have it sitting in my window right now, and the way the sun just sort of shines through that clear glass—I don't know—this looks really
2: nice. So, Craig, what what went into designing that bottle? Did you guys uh, work with some of the set pieces from the actual show, or how did you come up with that bottle and actually make it?
1: Well, you know, this was a this this was three years in the making, and when we first um, Signed the licensing deal with Star Trek uh, four years ago. Uh, this was the bottle we had in mind from the from the start of the, our our agreement with them, and it took a lot of research. I mean, I have Spencer Brewer on the line as well, um, and he's director of special projects here at Wines That Rock, and he did did the research, and he'll, he'll fill you in on the backstory of how we we sourced the bottle, found the bottle, um, found the winery that stopped producing the mold for the bottle, and how we went about uh, forging our own. So, he, uh, so Spencer Brewer, um,
6: he's here to tell the story. Hi, guys. Take it away, Spencer. Uh, okay.
2: Welcome to the show.
6: Thank you very much. I feel very honored to be here. Um, when I started on this project, the first thing was to find out where they'd come from. And the only source that I had, of course, was Corksbar. Bar. Barb uh, Healy had, uh, had that wonderful website up for years. And uh, so I read what she had on there, and then I decided to go really deep. The first time this bottle ever showed up anywhere was in the 50s um, for a Chianti from Stefani. It was a Tiffany uh, Chianti label uh, that came from there, and then a number of companies started making variations of it, being made in Croatia, uh, Spain, Italy, and Italy. Mm. Uh, it went, and they had the Chianti was a household deal in the '60s, um, and they made these bottles in 12 inch, 14 inch, 26 inch, 36 inch, oh. and four foot and four foot bottles. What?
7: They started in 19...
6: Yeah, it, it, it's just stupid how big... I actually got one of the three-footers just to see what it was like. So it wow. took me two and a half years to find four bottles. Uh, two and a half years. And once we found that, uh, I, the one I wanted the most was Dia Quinto, Italian importing company um, that started making a whole lot of these things and they were shipped all over the place. And I've got a long list of all the various people that did this Um, the manufacturers across, i got right now six different um, countries and 15 different manufacturers. But the key to this thing was the last one ever made was in 1974 in Spain. That's the last bottle ever produced. Uh, And Star Trek had gotten where they'd come up with was they were starting to put not only Chianti in these bottles, but they were uh, putting vegetables and various, you know, you could have olives and different things inside of it. Uh, in vinegar and so that's where they got a couple of their original bottles so once we got the bottle itself we found that there were a number of variations within it there's one that has flowers going up instead of this snake spine there's one that had a longer snake spine than a smaller snake spine and eventually we got a hold of one of the original show bottles and measured it and then did uh, uh, basically a digital scan through lasers of the entire bottle uh, just to make sure that it was the exact same bottle that was used on the show. Uh, The punt you see in the front that has the uh, logo from it, uh, from that particular show, um, we got that from the original designer. And in your interview, it says, what do we do if we cut off the plastic on the bottom? Does that come off? It says, no, it doesn't. That is on there. So if you cut the plastic off, all you collectors out there, that original logo on the front will stay intact. Awesome. Um, So then it took a year to find a manufacturer that would make it. I had two companies in China. I had uh, one in Bosnia, one in Poland, uh, one in uh, Spain, and then one in Italy, and each one of them wanted just a stupid amount of bottles to be made because they had to make the molds from scratch. So it took us a year, to year and a half to find uh, a really great partner at a liquor bottle in New York City that had a fantastic connection in this small uh, bottle manufactory in southern Italy. So they sent us uh, some samples of what they could do. We said, you got it, you nailed it. And so we decided to go ahead and run the bottles with them, and uh, they made all these original bottles to spec Uh, And then, of course, as you saw saw on the show, we enlisted the help of Una McCormick to write the liner notes. She was ecstatic to be able to do it. She goes, I can't believe you guys are pulling this thing off. And uh, then you see on the glass cork, because – now, this is an interesting bit of really small data. If you look at the very top of the bottle, there's not a lot of room. There you see there's just this little bitty indentation that comes out. And then mm-hmm. the neck is very narrow, so that means that thing is not gonna hold a cork, a traditional cork. Yep. It just won't. That's right. We went about we, we went to over twenty different cork companies around the world to find out who could make something of this design because originally they were Chianti's coming from Italy and they didn't have all the rules and regulations that we have now to actually uh, stop up the bottle. So then we went to Vino Seal and found out that they could make us a solid glass cork. Uh, but this process now took, and I'm sorry to say it, but it took six months to where they had the design they were working with the manufacturers and the, and the designers in Italy. We we're working on this side of the pond with our designers so that that cork glass cork, when that thing went in there, it clicked and it caught and it would not pop out uh, in shipment. Uh, so that the cork that glass cork actually took almost as much time as it is to find the manufacturer of the factory that was going to make it. Um, so then we had to find a special winery that would actually uh, fill this bottle by hand, put on the labels by hand, do everything on this by hand. And we found a great uh, partner in the very beginning uh, with E2 Family Winery, and then we moved on to another one down around Lodi. So the process has been one of great love, great detail. And uh, what's been just wonderful is we've had John Van Sitters the whole way holding our hand on some of the questions we had, and even more so, we had Barb uh, from Quark's Bar, who when she found out that we were actually going to try to make this thing, she was all in, and she's helped us uh, numerous times. She's the one who found uh, many of the original designs and had one of the original bottles and, and handed off anything she could to help us make this thing. Wow. Well, I have to tell you that this is a this is a really incredible presentation
4: like uh, y- you know you all on the website refer to this as the Holy Grail of Star Trek Collectibles and uh, I'm not being paid to say this. It really is. like uh, it's a really, really beautiful presentation. Um we uh, one thing I noticed was that uh last night uh the Trek talking team was fortunate enough to be able to attend the virtual Picard premiere. And in the background of any bar scenes or things like that, th- this bottle exists and it's the it's the representation of um Cardassin Kanar um the if you listen to our show uh this coming Sunday, you'll get the full story. We actually read out the liner notes uh presented by Una McCormick, who has been on our show and we talk about that a little bit um they're just really fun and they kind of add to the lore <laughs> i guess that the that the bottle sort of generates and then um, I just wanted to say that the wine itself was. Was really good. It was just really well balanced. Uh, and and as we said in the way, in the sort of edited recording here, you know, it changed over time. But it seemed to do a little bit of the opposite of what the other wines did. Most wines sort of mellow over time, and for me at least, it became a little bit more complex over time, which was very interesting. Um, so the, can you, you talk you, a little bit
6: say about that? One thing you say about that, which is interesting, is that when you guys listed right up front what was in it. Uh, in your interview, the, the reason why it continues to open in the way you're describing this is the percentages of what's in there. You got 40 percent Cabernet, 30 percent Petite Sirah, which is a very very robust intense wine. Then you got a 15 percent Petite Bordeaux, and the 15 percent Merlot is what rounds out that back end. But the minute that Cabernet kind of sinks in the background, both of those yeah. Petite's just show up really strong. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, and and that's why it seems to, like, add a little bit of uh, complexity over time, I guess, because most wines sort of – when I think of mellow, I think of less complex, and I'm not a wine guy, so maybe that's a simplification of things. But when I tasted this wine an hour after it was open, all of a sudden I was tasting things that I hadn't been tasting before versus – Tasting muted versions of what I had tasted before, if that makes sense.
6: Yeah, yeah, we were very lucky in the winemaker that we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to cut any corners anywhere, and we're very lucky that uh, the winemaker we work with, Andrew Nelson from War Room Ventures, um, made this particular blend. Uh, And the year he made it, he won the 50 under 50, I mean, 40 under 40 from Wine Enthusiasts, the top 40 winemakers under 40 years old in America. Um, And he just, we said, we were super lucky to have him on board all the way through this process. Well, it's a
4: really fantastic, well-rounded wine. Um, We had a couple of questions for you. Uh, So so, you know, uh, I can't remember if we actually have it in this 15-minute interview, but certainly you'll get it on the full version on Sunday. But uh, we had bottle number 205. And we're wondering, how many bottles of this did you guys actually produce?
6: Craig?
1: Well, we we in the first round, we produced 6,000 bottles. So uh, we do have uh, another round on the water um that's that'll be available um shortly but uh so the the numbers will increase as we roll out the the second and third lots of the KNR. but they are individually numbered bottles so you you got two two zero eight i believe
4: two zero five yeah and i
1: have two zero five and i have In front of me, bottle number 3,309.
4: Uh, Like the other individually numbered bottles, we would imagine that number 1701 is the most coveted version of all these numbered bottles?
1: It is. So in our first release with the United Federation of Planets Old Vine Zinfandel, we did a limited, release, limited number bottle up to 1701, um, and then we, we stopped numbering that bottle. So those that have one to 1701 in the original Old Vines, um United Federation of Planet Special Reserve, uh, do have a, a nice collector's piece there.
4: Well, that's something really, really special. I was going to mention from a practical standpoint, um, so the Cardassian Canar bottle is 100% clear glass, so definitely something you don't want to leave out on your (laughs) windowsill if you care to preserve your wine, Uh, uh, you know, put it in a cool, dry, dark place and uh, let it set uh, do you, one last question I had was, it, you know, it has this special cork that you were talking about. Um, so it's a 100% all glass cork. Uh, as we said in the interview, it looks really cool from the top. And then when you kind of look at it from the bottom, you sort of get this uh, interesting magnified view and the colors and the clear glass all play off each other very nicely. Um, I'm wondering, uh, you know, uh, how, would you? Is there a perfect time to open this wine?
6: Uh, usually, it's it's better longer any type of a, a, a intense red lasts. You know, uh, this wine's going to be good eight, ten, twelve years from now. So mm-hmm. uh, the longer you wait, it's just the better it's going to taste. And one thing that we didn't mention, and I noticed you guys didn't uh, uh, allude to, but it's super special, and we took a ton of time to find this thing. If you notice on the first show where they bring it up and, uh, on The Wounded, that particular uh-huh. segment, yes. and a few others We well, do talk about that. On, <laughs> yeah, this thing has been on 21 shows, this particular bottle. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what they have is they have this, this stopper coming out of the top of it that is uh, originally it was made out of wood. And they were only had a half a dozen of them, and they sprayed it uh, silver to make it look like it was metal. So uh, Barb ended up finding one of those original show props. And so we had it uh, digitally rendered. And when you buy one of these bottles in a package that you come with the bottle is that once you pop this glass cork, the original stopper exact same shape out of solid zinc metal comes with the package that you can put back in the top. So it looks exactly like it did on the show. Now, once you open it, You've got to drink it within you know, two or three days, of course. But for your presentation, what a lot of people have said, well, what do we do with this thing once we open it? And as you alluded to, don't keep it in the sun. It's supposed to be a dark bottle for red wine, but you couldn't do that with this wine. But what you can do is open it up with your friends, take the right time you want to drink it, take your beautiful Xanax stopper, and then go and get some really bad wine. Horrible. 2 dollars a bottle. Pour it back in, put the stopper on top and now you got something to show on your shelf. Mhm. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. Uh
4: you do receive or at least I received one of those stoppers with the Armada 6 that came uh to my house and it is absolutely beautiful. Uh, great proportions, great color uh in the metal. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I did not realize it was made to go with this particular bottle. So uh, I think that's what the show, that's
6: what the show, that's what is featured on the show. So we had, we wanted this to be exactly how you can see it on the show. Well, that is amazing. And I
4: absolutely appreciate that. If you listen to our full show on Sunday, we do talk a little bit about the wounded and the first time that uh, Cardassian Kanar shows up uh, in Star Trek lore. And then, kind of how it uh, continues throughout the show. So, great reference, guys, uh, and and great that you offered that stopper to go with it. What a nice little
6: companion piece. It was it was fun, and it took and it, a, it it took a long time to find the right guy to make that. That took a while.
0: <laughs> right.
6: Wow. Well, and we're this, stopper, guys, um, yeah, this stopper.
7: This stopper. Um. You go can. Ahead, you can. Sorry.
2: Yeah, you guys can go over to our Facebook page at Trek Talk and Beyond, and you'll see on there a link, and you can get a 10% discount on the full Armada. All you got to do is go to our Facebook page, click on the link, and follow it, and you can get all six bottles of the full Armada at a 10% discount. The only complaint that I've been hearing, Craig, is one complaint. I have a lot of people saying they can't get it overseas. Do you have any, any when do you think it will be available to overseas Trekkies?
1: Well, I think we 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 can't unfortunately ship wine overseas. But oh. what we are planning to do is make the the K can, bottle available to purchase um, empty, so people can can have the collectible bottle and the topper. Um, so you will see that on the website um for purchase so we can ship overseas uh we are working on our international uh, license uh, but that takes takes a lot of time to get that worked out so we we hear we hear the fans or the community um and we are working hard to get uh the license to uh the ship overseas as well as a lot of lot of happy
2: happy star trek fans when that happens and Eric what's what what are you and Paul going to visit next week for fireside chat number four
1: uh
4: well we have decided that the uh next wine must be the andorian blue chardonnay so we're excited to try that out we are hoping for some slightly warmer weather in Portland because right now we're about 50 degrees and raining so (laughs) we're hoping to do another outside show we'll see what the
2: weather brings Excellent. All right. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Craig and also to Spencer for sharing all that knowledge about making the bottle. And uh, you guys will be back with us same bat time, same bat channel next week for Fireside Chat number four. Correct?
1: Yes, we will be here.
2: Excellent. We'll talk to you guys next week and uh, make sure you say thank you to Heather for me. I really appreciate it. Sure. So. All glad right, you thank you all guys. It
1: came at that perfect time. All right. It Bye. did.
2: It was, it was almost like it was planned that way. So thank you so much. We'll talk <laughs> to you next week. Bye-bye.
6: Thank you.
8: Bye-bye.
2: All right, guys. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but you don't want to touch that dial because we've got our favorite blue man on next. And if you listen at the top of the show, you know who I'm talking about. So we're going to take a very, very quick break and we'll be right back.
5: Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever
2: your mind is willing to go. And we're back, and we have a very special guest with us in the studio tonight. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433, and you guys can give us a call, and we'll get you right on the air. And uh, some of you might know him as Mr. Killy, and others might know him as Rin, the Andorian that lost his antenna to Osyraa. In uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 And yet others might know him As the Dungeon Master On Disco Does D&D Regardless of who you know him as He is here The man, the myth, the legend himself <laughs> Noah Aberbatch How you doing Noah?
9: I'm good, can you hear me alright
2: guys? Yeah we hey, can, can hear you, you. <laughs> We can hear you great yeah, Thanks for having me Hey was that a good enough introduction? Did I Did I build you up enough?
9: Yeah, I got to work on that mystery part. I feel like it's kind of all out there, so I'll keep, uh, I'll keep, I'll keep working on the mystery part. But other than that, I think it's pretty good.
2: Yeah, we we gotta we gotta we gotta have some fun with it. So, um, obviously, before we dive into Disco Does D and D, I gotta ask you: This is not a discovery question. I know you're shocked, but did you and the missus watch Picard?
9: Mary is um, is rehearsing a play right now, so uh, she was not around for the the premiere. And I don't. I tend to watch. I tend to wait until the uh, the shows finish a season, so I can just sort of run through them. So I I am uh, I am still untouched by season two of Picard, but people seem to really be liking it so far.
2: It was. I found it enjoyable. I won't. I won't ruin anything. Anything for you, so you can enjoy it yourself. But um, yeah, so I don't want to just like you you don't ruin anything for us. I don't want to ruin anything because we we went to the premiere and we saw the first two episodes and boy were they good. And that's all I'll say. So all right, so let's move on. So um, you had a you had a fundraiser. You were um, and you broke it in record time,
0: right? (laughs)
2: Yeah, we. We started a Kickstarter
9: for a a short film that Mary and I are in that Anthony's directing called Type One. Uh, it's still running up on Kickstarter now. We've still got about 20 days to go. So if you haven't checked it out, go check out Type One on Kickstarter. You can find it through my Twitter bio or just by searching on Kickstarter. But, yeah, it's been amazing. You know, the community has shown up and, and uh, really, really helped us uh, make uh, going to help us make a, a really cool and, and
2: unique movie, I think. Yeah, what's funny is by the time I saw the Kickstarter was up there and I was going to post it on our Trek Talking page, and you had already gotten all the all, – <laughs> you were already done with it before I could even post it. It was that fast. <laughs>
9: yeah, you know, it was great. It, it, we hit our sort of first goal super, super fast. It only took like eight hours – and then we cracked our second goal in, uh, in only 24 hours. And then we, I sort of had to take a second and think, you know, what the hell am I going to do for the third goal? I thought I had more time for this. So we put that up and smashed that one. And now I'm, I'm again thinking, you know, what, what the hell should I do next
1: here?
2: What's, <laughs> what's
9: going on? So, uh, but it's just been wonderful. And I really, uh, I really couldn't be happier about how things went.
2: Well, you know, I always, I say this in the podcast all the time and it's completely true. Star Trek fans are the best fans and they're always it's there true. for you when you need them. It's um, true. It's are. true.
9: You know, I, I I really appreciated it and it just, it just really proved your point.
2: It's true. And what, can you tell us a little bit about the project
3: or sure. is it top secret? The
9: film? No, it's not top secret at all. The film is, uh, it's kind of like a dystopian drama about a type one diabetic and his wife who go on a search for like a cachet of insulin before uh, before time runs
2: out. Oh, OK. Like like a like a, uh, a walking dead type of a thing. Yeah, but without the zombies. Exactly. Without the zo- <laughs> walking dead without the zombies. OK, exactly. I, I I can, exactly. I can follow that. I can follow that. That's cool. Yeah, I'm cool. excited about it. And when, when, so since you hit your goal so quick, uh, when can we expect, do you have any dates available or? What? Well,
9: um, we're hoping to shoot it in May. Um, but when it is released is sort of dependent on like the festival circuit. It's if uh, it, it depends on what festivals are interested in showing it. Cause you kind of want to hold the film back and let it premiere at certain festivals but um, if you want to see it early, you can uh, pledge and get a uh, an early screener discount or an early, excuse me, an early uh, screener link so that when we're done with it, we'll, we'll send it out to everybody you backed and, and they can check it out way earlier than when it may or may not go totally public.
2: Now, uh, can, is, would it be okay? Can I put that on our Facebook page? Please, please do. I would love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so after the show, I'll head I'll head on over to your page and I'll get that information and I'll put it on our Facebook page so that our listeners have access to it Amazing. and they can help you out. That absolutely. would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So uh, let's let's talk about D and D. How does that sound? Sound pretty
9: good. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so
2: I, so I was watching I was watching. I don't know if it's the latest one or not, but I was I was watching one. Uh, with, where Mary Chifo was on with you yes, guys? Yes, this was our latest one. Yes. Was that the latest one? Okay. And uh, you had a giant snake that that poisoned himself.
0: And, yes. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was
9: all Mary Chifo's doing. You know, she uh she told the snake to die and used her magic, and uh, you know the rest. The rest was history. Really, it, it's all up on YouTube as well. If if somebody wanted to check that out as well.
2: Yeah, I was just I was laughing because I know um, I, I when I was playing D&D back in the day, uh, uh-huh. I was a wizard and uh, my friend was the dungeon master and we were in this underwater uh, pyramid and a giant shark attacked us. And I decided, well, I'm going to lightning bolt the shark. Well, I killed us all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> just, just, well, you're all dead. I was like, Wait, why, much the why are we thing. all dead? Yeah, I that's like, that's uh-oh. some real
9: old school D and D back there where it's just like you're constantly dying. I love that. Yep. that's old school. I was
2: dead. Killed us all. <laughs> and you know, it was. I'll never forget it. I was like, wow, okay. I thought this was make believe, but uh, we're dead. <laughs> I killed us. I killed us in record time. <laughs> like, amazing. there's the shark. Lightning like bolts. You're dead. Next. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It yeah, was fun. we've been
9: having so, we've been having a really really
2: good time with that. It, it looks, I mean, you guys seem to really enjoy it when I watched the, the uh, videos on YouTube. So Yeah, you know, we've been,
9: play, we've been playing together for almost like two years now. So um, it's sort of just like a chance for, it's an excuse for us to all hang out, really. And, and everybody get, gets to peek in and, and sort of hang out alongside us. So, you know, we're just trying to have as much fun as possible. And if it wasn't fun, I, I
2: don't think we would be, uh, we'd be doing it. Now, do you do you uh use pre-generated adventures or do you come up with them all on your own? I um it's a little bit of both. Like I sort of picked up the idea for the
9: setting, like the general place where we are from uh some wizards of the coast material, the people who, who put out all the the D&D stuff. Uh but then the story and the characters and everything else I have made up on my own to sort of tailor it to both like the streaming format, you know, which is a little different than if you were just in your living room and also
2: for the characters that, that everybody created. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely fun for sure. Now, now that we're starting to come out of the the COVID, at least we are up here. I don't know about the rest of the world, but up here in the new England States, we're starting to Mm -hmm. drop the mandates and we're starting to, come back to some semblance of normalcy so Mm -hmm. are you guys planning on on doing it in person or are you going to stay on zoom well
9: well uh uh anthony are in new york and ian and blue are on the west coast so unless we can unless we rent a studio and fly what uh, two of us have to fly to the other side of the country so hopefully one day we'll get to do it like in person and with like a studio or something like that that would be really fun but for now it'll just stay um stay as like kind of a Zoom style stream just because uh we're on different sides of the
2: country. Right. Right. Eric Eric, uh do you have any questions for Noah? Uh
4: well you know, any questions that I have are going to be unrelated, honestly, to D and D at this point because you're a resident <laughs> Andorian. So uh you know, I have I have several like Andorian questions that are very hard to answer unless you've sat and thought a lot about being an antorian which maybe you have so here come to the right place my
9: friend yeah
4: here we go all right here we go sir uh i'm gonna hit you with one that we discuss a little bit on this sunday's podcast in more depth and i'm because i have you available here i definitely want to ask you about this rin uh has his antenna cut off and to me, that is like uh you know cutting off the eyes or the ears or the fingers or or that sort of thing for for that race um and so one of the things that I mention uh when you listen to our full show this this week on Sunday is that I say you know it it would have been interesting in discovery to explore what um what Rin had to overcome as a result of the removal of his antenna. And so I'm interested to hear from Rin himself, uh, you know, how did you think about that? Like understanding what an Andorian's antenna might mean to them. How did you sort of think about that when you portrayed the character?
9: Um, You know, there wasn't much in the script about it. So there, was, there wasn't there was too much I could do in terms of, like, actually putting it out there. I think that it's one of those things where you, like, your, your body kind of adapts to something when it's been gone for a really long time. So I, I think, you know, it, I'd been like that for, or he'd been like that for such a long time that you wouldn't really, like, be in the midst of, like, him trying to come to terms with what had happened. I think that had already happened before we met him I I think a lot about like if we had more time to explore it I think a lot of it would have been there could have been like some really fun stuff about like balance you know or 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 listening and I think um uh at some point Stamets talks about listening to like crazy overtones in an opera and that could have been very cool so I think a lot of it is like actually smaller things like the embarrassment of losing your, losing your balance, uh, like at a strange time or not being able to hear the things that you used to be able to hear and enjoy that sort of, um, make you, you, you know, make you allow you to be a part of your, um, culture. So I think those are the things I think about, which we didn't really get into on the show, but that's, that's what I think about when I think about what that, that experience might've been
4: that would absolutely be an interesting topic for a uh for like a
9: star trek comic you know yeah definitely uh,
4: star trek Rin and and seeing kind of the the time period between whenever he lost those and when we see him on discovery that would be that'd be pretty cool i uh, would definitely are you listening do star rdw trek Rin. <laughs> there you go <laughs>
0: um
4: okay so i uh, i guess i'll hit you with one last question since we have you here um, and we discuss, or we talk, and um, I apologize for being completely wine focused right now, but obviously <laughs> we're in the midst of reviewing all of these wines and we're going to actually do the Andorian blue Chardonnay next, which you may or may not have any familiarity with, but I let me certainly ask do. You yes. Oh, okay. Excellent. Um, let me ask you from a philosophical standpoint, uh, Andorian blue wine. Can you grow grapes?
9: on an ice moon can you grow grapes on an ice moon well I think they're, ice so.
0: yeah, ice they're ice grapes yeah ice
9: grapes <laughs> of course <laughs> you know isn't that a treat that people make where they like put grapes in their freezer and it's like a yummy treat or something like that i feel like cold I grapes are here. like a whole thing there you go maybe it was you they who told me that so if it can <laughs> exist in some form of real life then it definitely exists on Andoria or Andor, I I love that idea
4: of growing uh, grapes on the ice moon uh, and harvesting them and still being able to like squeeze them out and uh, <laughs> you know obviously obviously we're <laughs> we're sort of mixing uh, a few things here but I just wanted to ask you about that in fun so uh, awesome to have you back on the show here thank you
2: yeah and uh, we have a caller we have a caller on the line here um, let me. Let's see if I can get this thing to work. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight?
7: Hi, my name's David. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. Hey, David. What's going hey, David. on? David.
2: Hey. Uh, everything's okay. So do you, do you have a question for Noah
6: about being an Andorian? Um, did you meet Fran? I
9: didn't meet Trim, but I did meet Jeffrey Combs. I was so, so – I met Jeffrey at – I've met him twice now. I met him at at, um, uh, Star Trek Las Vegas last year. And he was definitely at the very, very top of my list of people who I wanted to meet who might be at a convention. Um, He was so, so nice. He recognized me because I had been incessantly tweeting at him for a very long time and he he was extremely cool extremely nice he looked at me and he was like you're a little tall for an andorian but i was like all right well that is what it is i'm a tall guy so i understand and he just sort of started telling me about his um his thoughts about uh approaching shran and how he always saw them saw andorians as sort of like the scrappy irish versus the sort of stodgy english of uh of the Vulcans, which I just loved so much. And he was just so nice and so warm and was happy to take a picture of me where he's looking really cool with his cool hat on. And I look like an absolute goober smiling my face off. So it was just fantastic to get to meet him and, and hopefully I'll get to see him again soon.
2: Wow. So That's what, cool. what is it, what, what is it like uh, being a Star Trek actor and meeting people that, that you've seen on TV before. (laughs) I mean, is it as exciting to you as it is for us when we go to a convention to meet you?
9: Yeah. it's, It's sort of like this thing where it's awesome. You know, I, I, I love it and I feel so special, but also I'm like a total goober, you know, I'm just like smiling and giddy and I'm like trying not to say anything stupid. I'm trying not to embarrass my wife. So I'm just like trying to take it as easy as I can and not, overdo it you know so i i I, it's just so fun it's fun to be able to um fun to just be able to meet all these people and see what they're like backstage and how nice and cool and funny everybody is and you know so many of the people who i'm excited to meet have been doing these conventions for you know 20 30 years and to hear their stories about them and to hear how they approach them and to also hear the um the respect and kindness they have when they talk about the fans and and the the real um connection that they have and how much how how good a relationship it is it's it's uh it's really really fantastic so it's just been amazing
2: that's that's awesome and uh we have another caller on the line here who wants to talk to you let me see for some reason my keyboard just doesn't want to connect sometimes Hello, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello, hello. You're on the air. I, yeah, this is Ray from the Bronx
8: again. Hey, what's up, Ray? I just walked in. It's been a bad day, sir. And I DVR the the season two right now. Man, listen. I had listen. Listen. You have one of those days that you don't want to like. Get out of your bed like that
2: <laughs> We all do Yeah
8: Okay, I, I just walked in So, um i, I, I told talking to Mr. Noah I, well, you say as a Dorian Which was, what, I mean, well from Star Trek The Enterprise series? Uh,
2: Star Trek Discovery
8: Oh, no, I, okay Okay, uh, okay. Noah, okay, Noah I have not watched that episode too tough But, you know, I miss. Let me okay okay can so I say something like you know a little bit inside from uh, from Enterprise, as a Dorian part, and like I said you know I like uh, I always like the Dorian's. I, I mean even though they are kind of like you know they, uh, what's it uh pirates right you, you know a pirate, pirate everything else. Ever since the episode um Star Trek was a journey to Babel doing that episode you know what I'm saying and you know you know and and, and, and I'm surprised that at least they have that species continue on.
9: Like Did that. you like? Do you are you big, are you a bigger fan of the original series Andorians or the Enterprise Andorians? Which do you like more?
8: Well, I mean, um, basically, uh, basically, um, I like uh, both of them, both of them. You know, see, because I love Trent because you know why I love Trent so much because Trent. I mean, Trent is like okay, as a Andorian. Um, enemy race of Captain Archer, you know. what I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying during that time, you, you know, during that time when every, you know, like way before the uh, the uh, or the um, the P tree and all that stuff and everything else, you know, you, you know, stuff, but, you know, you know, you, you know, to try and get it together like that. But you know what I'm saying? But I respect them. It's like okay, let me show something out there, like you know, like the, the terror rights. When um the stuff we
9: go draw the Terri's. There's a couple of Tellurites in Discovery, but we haven't. I don't think they've really gotten into them yet. They just have. They've just been in the background. Are there Tellurites in uh, uh uh? What's what's the animated one? Not The, the, other, one? Other, the other one. The animated.
4: one?
8: Oh, you mean Prodigy?
9: In Prodigy. Yeah, right, yeah. Are one, there yeah. Tellurites yeah, in Prodigy
8: did, too? Yeah, I saw Party, Yeah, yeah. I saw Party Yeah, they have a few in there. They have a few in there. You know what I'm saying? You know what? Because I think, okay, okay. I'm thinking back from during that baby. Like I said, because, I mean, so during that baby, you know so I'm saying, that's the show all you, know, all, you know, all the races, you know, you got the terrorists, you got the Vulcans, you got the um, Andorians. I mean, you got the three major groups of um, aliens, aliens doing that series. So from my, I mean, from my theory is that, you know, those are the best ones out there because, you know, I mean, I mean even though they're not they show too much, but you know, so but at least they build it up towards from 1967 until now. At least they build them up in a way. I mean, I don't know. Am I saying that correctly?
2: Oh yeah, they're they're still around, right? They're they're on Discovery, and we see them on Picard, and we've seen them on Lower Decks, and we've seen them on Prodigy. So yeah, they're still, and of course we're talking to Rin right now, and he's he's around. That's uh yeah, they've been around for a while, since Star Trek started. Mm, right,
8: absolutely. I know oh, yeah, I, uh, okay, uh, okay,
2: I, okay I mean, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, why don't what? why don't you enjoy?
8: Uh, make sure you watch Star Trek Picard. Enjoy it. No, no, no. no and I'm no, recording right now because I, I just got in the house. I I, I just went oh. to house. I just got in the house.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, All right.
8: Yeah. Yeah, I'm a call cool right now. I just got home, so, you know, so I just calling, you know, the courses not hot.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for calling, Ray. We really appreciate it.
8: Anytime, my friends, anytime.
2: Hey, have a good night. So stay warm in the Bronx.
8: Yeah, man, listen, I'm trying to. <laughs> all right, <laughs> well, no problem.
2: Take problem. it easy. No All, right. All right, well, you all right. right. all right, good night. Good night. Good night. So, Charles, did you have any questions that you, for for
3: Noah? Oh, not a whole lot of questions. I didn't realize all of the D and D episodes were on YouTube. I figured they were on Twitch or something. So I actually just posted the link on the Truck Talking page, uh, the channel's page.
0: Oh,
3: amazing! So yeah. To
9: We stream them on Twitch so you can like catch it live there, but then we like to upload them on YouTube just because, you know, not everybody can make those live streams. But uh, we have a fun time doing it live on Twitch. The chat's really fun. So it's, it's, we kind of give everybody the, the options of how to do it.
3: Oh, I appreciate them going to YouTube because I don't get, I don't do a whole lot in Twitch. So it's nice to see them later. So I look forward to watching those episodes. I know what you mean about wanting to do a live D&D session. We're still doing the uh, role-playing games on Sunday. Mm -hmm. We're working on Mass Effect right now. And we have a ball with a small group of dogs. So I can understand wanting to do a live one with everybody there would be just a, a riot.
9: Yeah, that would be really, really fun. We've done some live shows at conventions, and those have been really enjoyable.
3: Oh, I wish I could! I wish I, I wish I hadn't been busy in the dealer's room all
0: <laughs> last convention.
3: I was in the dealer's room the entire, almost the entire time, unless I was at work. So I didn't get to see any of the panels. And that panel looked like it would have been so much fun.
2: Yeah, we had a great time.
3: So, uh, uh, no, are you?
2: Are you scheduled for any uh, appearances at any conventions where fans can go to meet you in person? Yeah, if anybody's going to
9: Mission Chicago, I'll be there, uh, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, It's the first Mission convention, so I don't know what to expect. But I've got some family out in Chicago, and uh, I've got them tickets to come, uh, come to the convention. So I think that will be a lot of fun to just get some of my family in there and see some of the... The wonderful craziness.
2: Yeah. I wish I could make it out there. I think, um, I think Shannon's going to be there. Isn't she, Eric? Uh, I think
4: maybe, I don't know if she's traveling all the way up to Chicago or not. I'm not, I'm not sure she hasn't actually told us, but uh, if I was in the Midwest, I would
2: definitely be there. There you go. Yeah. That would be awesome. It'd be great. It would be great to meet you in person. I think, you know.
9: Um, well, if you're in Chicago, then you come say hi to me.
2: We, we talk to so many people on the podcast, but I never, I never get to meet any of the people. Just, just talk to them, you know. So it's it's great to go to a convention and put, you know, meet you in person. Definitely. Well, anyways, um I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about D and D with us and and to talk with our fans about playing Wren on Star Trek Discovery. We really, really appreciate it. Noah, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us.
9: Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Have a good have a good uh, almost weekend.
2: Almost, Excellent. yeah. We, we got... <laughs> and uh, uh, Charles has got those links up on our Facebook page for Amazing. you as well, so that's great. So
9: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a good one, guys.
2: Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Ciao. Alright guys, so uh we're we're gonna dive right into the meat and potatoes of of our podcast right now, but first we have to do our Star Trek birthdays, and uh for that we have to listen to Grumpy Wharf.
0: Yeah.
8: Was
2: not a clean-on song. All right. So we always talk about our uh, Star Trek members who are no longer with us, unfortunately. And for that, we turn to Eric.
4: Yeah. This week, Jim, we are celebrating five people who have gone before us in our Star Trek community. Uh, our first actor we're celebrating is Shay Duffin, uh, who played the character of Ned Quint in TNG's episode Sub Rosa. Uh, excellent uh, episode. Uh, Interesting trivia about Duffin, Uh, he actually regularly portrayed barkeep types, and he was actually the uh, barkeep in the 1997 uh, blockbuster movie, Titanic. So there you go, Titanic, Star Trek crossover. Shay Duffin would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to actor Bert Remsen, who played Kubis Oak in DS9's episode, The Collaborator. Uh, very excellent uh, episode. Um, he actually was really famous. He starred in uh, tons of other stuff, including other stuff with Renee uh, uh and John Shuck and Sally uh, Kel- Kellerman, uh, movies, uh, regular spots on television. So uh, very prolific actor. Burt Remsen would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to Joy Garrett, who played the character of Annie Myers in TNG's episode Fistful of Datas. She, of course, was the madam in that episode, perhaps more famously known as Joe Johnson on the soap opera Days of Our Lives uh, from 1987 to 1993, one that uh, my mom watched just about every single day. So happy birthday to Joy Garrett. We're also saying happy birthday to Lawrence Montaigne, who was fortunate enough to play two separate characters in, uh, the TOS era. He played, uh, the, uh, the Vulcan Stan in TOS's Amok Time, and he also played Decius in The Balance of Terror. Uh, two super excellent episodes. One thing that's, uh, of note about, uh, about Lawrence Montaigne, he actually was, um, being considered, the, uh, for, You know, if Leonard Nimoy had ever actually left the series, uh, particularly during the second season, Montaigne was on the list of possible replacements for him. So he he could have been Spock uh, if Leonard Nimoy had not stuck with it. So happy birthday to Lawrence Montaigne. And then perhaps our biggest remembrance this week uh, goes out to one of the major characters in the TOS era, um, somebody who not only is probably the best engineer of all time uh, in Star Trek, but also now lives uh, out in space, uh, James Scotty Dewin. Uh Unfortunately, we lost him back in 2005, uh, but he would have had a birthday this week, July 20th. Uh, last week, actually, would have been his birthday. And Scotty is just something else, guys. Um, what would you like to say about Scotty?
2: I I can't say enough about Scotty. Um the first time I met him, they had a traveling Star Trek exhibit that was up in Buffalo, New York, and we went up there to see it and it was um The Science of Star Trek is what it was. And um he was up there doing his his Scotty uh thing and he signed my program for me. He was just an, a, a great guy. I I just I can't say enough about him. He's just he was uh Friendly, cordial, uh, appreciative, and he's definitely sadly missed, for
0: sure. Well, he
4: has now been joined uh, by Majel and by uh, Mr. Ronberry himself, uh, living in orbit around the Earth, which I think is a, is a fitting place for them to uh, spend the rest of eternity. So, Charles, why don't you start us off with the folks who are still with us that have birthdays
8: this week?
3: All right, well, let's start off with Barbara Luna, who played Lieutenant Moss, Marlena Monroe, in CUS's Mirror Mirror. Harvey Jason played Mr. Leap, in TNG's The Big Goodbye. George Aligar played Wakasa, in TNG's Journey's End. John Piper Ferguson played Ellie Hollister in PNG, Fistful of Data. She had another birthday from Fistful of Datas earlier, so two of them there. Jed Schmeger played Tabar in Void, Nothing Human, and, rep- and Repression. And some of them, then some of our more familiar ones, this one's actually come in, come to our show one time. And I've got to talk to her a little bit in person. This is Tracy Lee Coco, who played Lieutenant Jay. And I think she a couple other roles. But she was a reoccurring character in TNG. Then we have Chase Matheson who played Lita, a.k.a. Miss Na- Nagas, in DS9.
0: And she, <laughs> too, has
3: been a guest of our show. And especially, uh, I think it was a movie, Unbelievable, that she came in on the show and discussed. And I've talked to her multiple, a to- uh, few times at the convention about her coalition. That she does, and you'll see a lot of the if you'll you'll see a lot of her be kind stuff around the convention and the actors <laughs> because a lot of the actors will wear that those that uh, that those that, that that logo and those the t-shirts and such. And then a very big happy birthday to Gage McFadden. No, known as Beverly Crusher, from all the TNG episodes and movies. Hard to say which is my favorite doctor, but she definitely is on the list of being one of my favorite doctors. Jim, how about your list? Well,
2: we want to say happy birthday to Michael Cumstey, who played Lord Burley on Boys Cathesis and Persistence of Vision. We also want to say happy birthday to Stephanie Beecham, who played Countess Regina Bartholomew on TNG's Ship in a Bottle. But I think most fans would know her from her role on SeaQuest. She was a love interest of uh, SeaQuest DSV, Star Trek Underwater. It was Underwater. a great show. It was, it was Star Trek it was. Underwater, man. It was a great show. It was. Captain Bridger, I'm telling you, Captain Bridger could have been a Starship captain on Star Trek. A hundred percent. I a hundred
4: percent agree with you, Jim.
2: Yeah, You don't know how many times I watched SeaQuest and I said, wow, that's Captain Picard. I mean, that's Captain Janeway. I mean, he had that starship captain about him, um, except he was on a submarine. But you could have transplanted him onto any Star Trek show and had the perfect Starfleet captain. So that's pretty cool. SeaQuest DSV. Uh, we also want to say, he had, now this is a big one. I'm gonna have to try to squeeze this all in here because she's done a lot. Uh, Barbara so Babcock, amazing. who played she played Mia Three in TOS's A Taste of Armageddon. Uh, she played Philana and Plato's stepchildren. You should recognize that episode for sure because that's the first interracial kiss on American television. And here's where her career with Star Trek gets very interesting because these are characters that you will recognize but you probably didn't know what her was her. She did the voices of Trelane's mother. She did the Beta 5 computer. She did Lost the Tholian commander. And she said that she did the Zatarians. So she's done a lot of voices for a lot of characters on TOS. So happy birthday to hey. Barbara Babcock.
4: And can I tell you, Jim, that it extends even beyond what you have listed there. She also played Isis, the cat, from Assignment Earth. Um, she played the uh, beta. Oh, you, are, you did have beta Five. here. She also played Felana from the Stepchildren. So, so many different roles.
1: It's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, she's been a lot. She, you, you would recognize her if you saw her. So, happy birthday to Barbara. We also want to say happy birthday to Karen Robinson, who played the true leader Pad in BS and Discovery's Forget me not. And that hope is you part two. So happy birthday to Karen. And this next one is a big one because I met him in person. Ethan Peck, Mr. Spock on discovery and strange new worlds. And I'm telling you, if you get a chance to meet him at a convention, you will. I'm looking at his autographed picture right now on my wall. He was, the sweetest, nicest, friendliest guy I ever met. Uh, he was thrilled that we were there to see him, and he, he respects Leonard Nimoy and all the characters, uh, the people who played Spock before him, and he was just a great guy, great guy. I was so glad I had the opportunity to meet him. Happy birthday to Ethan Peck. Um, and last but not least on my list, the man himself the the ultimate captain anson mount captain christopher pike on discovery and strange new worlds i'm so pumped for strange new worlds and what's what's awesome about this guys if you maybe you realize this maybe you didn't we have three overlapping weeks where we're going to get discovery and picard and then we have a few weeks with picard only then the last three episodes of Picard are going to overlap with the first three episodes of strange new worlds. Talk about star Trek minds being blown. We are going to have so much star Trek. I'm just so thrilled about that. So happy birthday to Anson Mount. And I always do the Klingons last, and I've got some pretty decent ones on my list. We'd like to say to James Worthy, who played Corral in TNG's gambit part two. I guess he's a basketball player as well. But I'm not familiar with the team that he plays on, or if he's even any good. But I guess he's a basketball player as well. So happy birthday, James Worthy. <laughs> he, um,
4: he 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 was a very famous basketball player. Yeah, he 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 no longer plays, uh, but he was extremely uh, extremely famous for many many years.
2: Okay, well there you have it, and we also want to say "Kapla." To J.D. Cullum, who played Toral, son of Duras in TNG's Redemption. Uh, I still don't know where he came from, but they said he was uh, Duras' son, so he must be. And uh, last, but definitely not least, we want to say happy birthday to Michelle Bonilla, who played Bukai in Enterprise's The Sleeping Dogs. That was an awesome Enterprise episode, by the way. That was a really, really cool one. So that wraps up our Star Trek birthdays. And now I'm going to jump back up to the top of the page here. We had to do things that are a little bit out of order. Uh, and I want to let you guys know that as of right now, we have 95,943 downloads. Just, just, wow. I'm, I'm waiting to break a hundred thousand, which is going to be very, very soon. And 86,237 followers on our Facebook page. Wow. And, um, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper symbol at the top. Pop in there and tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name, then that means yours truly, Uncle Jim, has picked you, and you will be mentioned in a future fan shout-out. And, Eric, who are we going to say hello and thank you to tonight?
4: Oh, Jim, we get to travel all over the world tonight. First, we are saying hello and kapla to Julie Seneca Sinekasuli from Greece. Uh, she sends us a Grecian flag and a little live long and prosperous symbol. So, Julie, thank you very much for listening to us. We really, really appreciate your support. We're also saying hello this week to Inga C. Stroyus in Antwerp, Belgium. That's right, Belgium. Uh, one of those very interesting countries that's uh, adjacent to many other countries and therefore is influenced by the culture of many other countries. So, Inga, thank you so much for listening to us. We're also saying hello this week to Terhi Stenrus from Turku, Finland. Uh, I was very interested. I looked up a little bit of information about the Finnish flag uh, because I didn't know where it came from. So if you're so inclined, go check that out. Thank you, Terhi, for listening to us all the way from Turku. Ilya Cheka from Russia is listening to us today. Ilya, thank you so much for listening to us. And we're also saying hello this week to David Aguilera. From Taek uh, from Teku uh I got this. Tekug Tekusi Gal uh, oh my gosh, I've got this guys. Tekusigalpa. Tekugisi Galpa in Honduras, which is actually the most populous and largest city in Honduras. So Tegu s Teguci Galpa is <laughs> very hard for me to say. And yet David lives there, and thank you so much for listening to us all the way from Honduras. David, Charles, who is on your list this week?
3: Well, I'll start off with Karen Stump in Pennsylvania. Jim Scott in Toronto, Canada. we get a live long and prosper from Stephen Stokes in Atlanta, Atlanta, Metro Georgia. Lena D. from Germany. Kelly Heidelbrand Kraut from Pennsylvania. I bet Jim found somebody in New York.
2: I I did actually want to say thank you for listening to James Hoytus from Upstate New York. We don't know where, but Upstate New York is not New York City. I want to point that out. He's in Upstate New York, which is my neck of the woods. So thanks for listening to James. We also want to say thank you to Heather Boivoy from New Zealand, Daniel Goff from Poland, Dorothy Price from Alabama. And last but definitely not least, we want to say thank you and ka- blah, to Kevin Jellick from Lake Bottom, Wichita, which Wichita, which
0: Yeah,
2: Wisconsin. Man, you see that? That's that it's live so radio crazy. tongue. See, it's not just it's that, me.
0: Woo-hoo. No, it's not <laughs>
2: you know, when you do things live, um, that's what you get. It just it just happens unfortunately. So, uh, we're gonna jump to our Star Trek news and uh we have one story that I definitely wanna get to, Charles, and what what is that one?
3: Okay. We're saying our goodbyes to Sally Tellerman. Kellerman, the actor and singer is best known for Austin-nominated performance
0: in the original
3: movie, MASH, as she played Major Margaret Hotliff Suleyhan. She passed away at the age of 84. Outside of MASH, Kellerman appeared in a number of Robert Altman films, including The Player, Bruce McCloud, and Welcome to L.A. She's also recognized for her roles in Star Trek, Twilight Zone, and Marion, as well as an array of voiceover performances across the 60s. Tell appeared in episodes of The Twilight Zone, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, My Three Sons, and The Alpha, Alpha Hitchcock Hour, Horizon, and Hawaii Five-O. Her breakout role is Han and the MASH film was released in 1970, and earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. In the decade that followed, she starred in films such as The Last of, the, Last of the Rot, Red Hot Lovers, Dither, The Lost Horizons, and appeared in multiple theatrical productions, and voiced Miss Finch in the Sesame Street film Follow That Bird, to Elizabeth Denner. In the second pilot episode of Star Trek's original series, where no man has gone before. She also released an album, her her first album, Roll with the Feeling in '72, and planned to release a second one in the '90s, but it never surfaced. She ultimately released a second album, a jazz and blues venture titled Sally, in 2009, and a memoir titled Read My Lips. The story of Hollywood Life in 2013. Later roles in the actress actress's career included 90210, the Young and Restless, Marion Decker, and different pe- Difficult People. Her last appearance was in 2021 on episode of the animated series Family. And yeah, we,
2: I, I thought it was important to uh, because she just passed away. I wanted to make sure that we. We got that one in there. So um, we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, um, The Great Barrier. And first, we want to hear what our fans had to say. So, Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about this episode? What did they score it?
8: Uh,
4: well, they uh, are, as as always, our uh, reviews were various. Linda Red Stewart said, I think it was great learning a bit more about Tarka, but feel the more established characters from first season onwards tend to get overlooked, especially the Bridge crew. Otherwise, I think it was balanced and intriguing, and I'm happy that Michael has matured to the point that she is not bawling in every episode now. I give it an 8.5. So thank you, Linda. Uh, Valerie Skelton says maybe a nine. This was probably the best episode of the entire series so far, besides maybe episode seven from this season. Mark James Rodriguez gave it a nine. Discovery is an amazing show, great acting, not your average Trek. Top fan Mark Neustrom said a five. Overall, a fair episode, but it just seemed a little disjointed to me. It's also amazing that Gilligan's Island references have survived a 1,000 years. Uh, good to see Adira Tal, but, again, those scenes just seemed crammed in totally my own ignorance, but Tarka's backstory started so well and just fell flat. Uh, top fan Rich Gale set a 7, still engaging but a little slower than the last couple of episodes. Still don't like Tarka, but in learning a bit of his backstory, you sympathize with his course and why it's so important to him. Not sure how it relates to the main story, but I guess we'll find out. Also, much character development in this episode. Sure to help the story play out or find some tragedy up ahead. Just a bit slow here. With two or three episodes left, I'm sure we're building to a climax now that's all the chess pieces are in place. So thanks, Rich. Uh, Earl Richard Hart said, bubble hopping the ship to traverse the galactic barrier was a real stretch of the imagination. A bit too far for even my imagination, seven out of 10. Adam Pipe said a 10. It opens exciting prospects for future generations of Star Trek. David Boucher said 7.5. My favorite part was learning about Targa's past. Carlos A. Smith said, please remember you asked for the rating, 5.4. And top fan David Nemeth Lafleur said six, I guess. So the story is interesting acting is great, special effects great, but galactic barrier, WTF LOL. And almost like bi- biological cells comprised a said barrier, okay, I get that it's science fiction, but can't we please come up with something less preposterous? What's next? A Starbucks floating in space where species 10C is and their cannons fire lattes? Sorry, I probably became spoiled by watching The Expanse. So, Jim, when you average out our fan scores this week, they come out to a 7.5, which is a a solid point below last week's. But granted, last week's is right up at the top of the scale.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I um I I enjoyed it. I I had a little bit of confusion actually, of uh, as to what exactly the Great Barrier was. I was I was confused as I was watching, and I was thinking to myself, oh wow. Cybok has been vindicated because, as I've said many <laughs> times, in Star Trek V, in the book of Star Trek V, and it's not in the movie, Cybok gets them through the barrier by altering the shields. He, he does something to the shield that, that allows them to go through the barrier, but it's not in the movie. And uh, so when Tarkas says, well, we got to apply some uh, antimatter, uh, da-da-da-da-da, techno-babble to the shields. So we can penetrate the barrier. I thought, wow, Cybox been vindicated. I had the wrong barrier. There's two barriers.
6: <laughs> <You did>. Yep. <laughs> there's it's the galactic
2: true. barrier and there's the great barrier. So we we got to get our and the, barriers. And the galactic
6: and, and the galactic
4: barrier is the barrier that's kind of around the outside of the galaxy, and the great barrier is the barrier that's around the thing that's at the center of the galaxy. So if you're thinking Star Trek Five you're thinking Great Barrier, which is the center of the galaxy. And if you're thinking where no man has gone before, or if you're thinking is there no truth in beauty, or if you're thinking by any other name from TOS, that is the galactic barrier, which is the boundary around the outside. And no, Facebook users, it is not a sphere, you can actually look it up and figure out kind of what the shape is, but it's more of a weird, like amorphous uh, torus sort of thing. It's not really a sphere.
2: Yeah, I was I was confused about that myself, but at any rate, so what you guys yeah. want to dive in? Let's let's talk about the episode.
7: So uh, okay. one of the things I was going to I- mention really quick about the uh, didn't the scientists in real life have discovered that there is like some sort of wall of fire on the outside of the galaxy? I don't
4: know uh no to the best of my knowledge i actually researched this a little bit and to the best of my knowledge david as far as we know at this point there is no such thing as a galactic barrier Uh, basically what happens is that when you get to the edge of our galaxy the density of stars just gets such that they're no longer influenced by the overall gravity of the galaxy and so you just kind of end up at this space where there are stars and things that are sort of free-floating between galaxies. So, um, you know, we actually uh, learn that the next one over uh, in by any other name is the Andromeda Galaxy, which is where those guys are, the Kelvins are trying to get back to. And they have to exit our galaxy. So the Great Barrier Concept is a little bit of a Star Trek mythos, and it doesn't, as far as we know, actually exist in real life.
2: Right. So uh, we lost another character on Star Trek Discovery last week. We lost R.A. Bryce. Uh, he left to work with Kovitch on some top-secret plan. So, like, what could be more important? This is... What could be more important than species 10C wiping out life as we know it? Any ideas?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a very interesting question. Um, And I will say that uh, Kovic also mentions that there are some other things that he has to attend to that are more high priority than 10C. So my guess is that it's something related to this recent uh, crisis, something related to 10C. Maybe they're making a deal with the queue or something, and for some reason Bryce is the dude that has to be the guy uh, to to be the one making the choices. I did think that was kind of an interesting choice, though. Um, Of course, they did introduce our new – and I'm sorry, I don't have his name handy – but our new communications officer a couple of episodes ago. But it was a little surprising to lose Bryce for real, to tell you the
2: truth. Lieutenant Christopher is his name. Yeah, that's what his name is. That's right. Yeah, I was surprised to see Bryce yeah. leave, and I was surprised to see Bryce leave without Captain Burnham saying goodbye to him. I thought, um, you know, I thought that she would have been it the one to like, see him off.
4: Yeah, but, yeah, it did feel like they did him a little bit of disservice there. I'm not sure if there's maybe a backstory to what's going on with the with the actor or not, but it did feel like a little bit of a weird goodbye to me.
2: Yeah, it felt like they just kind of stuck it in there, like, oh, by the way. And kind of, and he went. But uh, he might be back. Maybe he's going to the Academy with Tilly. Uh, you know, who knows? But I did think that was help. weird. Now, the, 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 one of our fans mentioned this, and I mentioned this, and Eric knows I mentioned it because Eric yeah. knew I mentioned it before anyone else knew I mentioned it, a three-hour well, tour. I mentioned
3: on Thursday night. Uh,
2: uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I did oh, I just – so this brings up all kinds of interesting hypotheses is is isers, about Hypothese. COVID. Hypothesis, <laughs> yes. It, now Hypothese. he's enamored with old technology. He's got all the, yep. the old. Okay, he's got the old communicator. He wears glasses. He wears an old suit. He's familiar with the alternate universes. He knows about the Kelvin universe. He just doesn't seem really to fit in the future world of star trek and now he knows about gilligan's island and the three-hour tour and they made a point they made a point not only did they did he make the comment which would have been fine had they dropped it for people that were old like us and caught the reference but they went out of their way to have saru make sure that to say to point it out so that people were aware that the reference wasn't something that anybody knew except for Kovitch. Did you guys find that to be, like, a little bit strange? I mean, No,
3: I think, I think that leads it, it to the mystery of it. I would yeah. love to know... I'm the one that always says it. I would love to know a backstory. He's got to have a backstory and we don't know it yet. I... That, that, I'm thinking novel. I think that would be a great novel. I would love to know his facts to listen. There's something behind that character, and we just don't know what it is yet.
1: Okay. Yeah. Hear
4: me out. Here's my okay. theory. Kovic belongs to the same organization that Gary Seven does, and he's actually from the past. But he is living out his life in the future because he realizes where his influence has to take place to keep the timelines sort of sorted. So I think he works for Aegis, or Aegis, or however you want to pronounce it, which is the organization that Gary Seven oh. works for.
2: Which would make sense that. because that means that Grudge the Cat can actually be an Isis, right? <laughs> there you
7: go. Now we're talking.
2: You know, we got to get the cats in there for Ray, right? (laughs) Well,
4: I just, when
2: I think about
4: how much Kovic is, like you said, enamored with the past, Uh, he seems like he almost sort of lives in the past. He wears glasses because he thinks they look cool. Um, You know, this guy is not referencing Gilligan's Island because he just has some eclectic knowledge of the past. I got to believe that he actually lived there. I mean, Why would Gilligan's Island be a culturally significant thing among the kind of sea of really awesome references that he could have made,
2: right? Exactly. Exactly. It it caught me right away. It it just, it influenced me in ways I cannot even describe. Um, So at any rate, I wanted to throw that out there. So uh, there, there was another interesting thing I wanted to talk about. The Saru Tarina uh relationship seems to be growing did you guys catch that
4: mm. oh yeah yeah it's so sweet oh that That's was my uh... favorite romantic relationship
3: <laughs> go ahead charles yeah. yeah that was a big that was just i that wasn't this week that was last week's ready room where they actually talked about some of the famous relationships and they made a big deal on this one they made a big deal on this one. I kind of agree. I think there is something there. I'm, I'm big curious what direction this one goes. I think it's interesting. It really through she yes. stayed on the ship. But I think that allows them to have a chance to maybe work on the feelings between them. And normally I would say, well, a Vulcan's not going to have that kind of emotion. But she's not the Vulcan from our era. She is one a little more towards the future, and they've taken a slightly different path.
4: Navarin. Yep, Navarin. Probably has has Romulan blood in her, would be my guess. I mean, after a thousand years of Romulan and Vulcan mixing, there's probably no such thing as like a – like a purebred Vulcan or a purebred, purebred Romulan, which even actually, if you even think about that notion, it's ridiculous given that they both come from the same planet originally anyway. But I'll just say that this is my, it, you know, Stamets and Culber used to be my favorite relationship on Discovery. Now Saru, Saru and um, President Tarina are my absolute favorite. They're just so sweet. And I love how they're actually, like in this episode, they bring it in where she just talks to Saru and she's like, listen, you just give me a lot of comfort just by being close to me. And for anybody who has found that person in their life, who is literally just comforts them by being close to them, they don't even have to do anything. They just have to be there. It's a really special feeling. And I feel like they're super capturing that in the show right now.
2: Well, let's, let's so uh, President Relic is on the Discovery now. Tarina is on the Discovery now. Uh, they have this linguistics specialist who laughed at Kovitch's jokes uh, who's on the ship now. We also have a Ferengi who's on the ship now. And, you know, we have this um, this three-hour tour reference that was dropped. And I'm wondering if Discovery is not coming back from... The, the sector of space that they're about to enter and that's why they're taking characters off the ship and putting new ones on because season five is going to take place in like voyager it's going to be in this other galaxy oh, yeah and this way saru they have an opportunity to, to play with these new characters what, what, what do you guys think do you think discovery is coming back or do you think discovery is not coming back what do you think charles
3: I'm thinking I. I know it's it, it put you on the spot. You know, <laughs> no, I know. No, I'm I'm defining it. Short-check episodes like Doctor Who episodes, they love putting in little subtle hints. That three-hour tour, I think that was just a little red herring. I wonder if that might be something truth. I saw some of those posted online. It's like, hmm, that's the thought. Because they got into the barrier, unless they get help from 10C, it may be difficult to get out of the barrier. And few, few people have ever been inside. It'd be an interesting time to discover what's there.
2: Absolutely. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: What do you think? What do you think, Eric? Am I, am I just reaching here or what do you think? Uh,
4: no, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very interesting question. One of the things that they brought up in this episode that I thought was really interesting was that the mycelial network only extends to the edge of our galaxy. And so presumably the mycelial network does not exist in what do they call it intergalactic space the space between galaxies so um do i think they're actually going to make it to the andromeda galaxy or or wherever they're going the hyperfield i guess which is in uh intergalactic space yeah they'll probably they'll probably make it there i don't think they're going to go all the way to uh the next galaxy uh which of course is is what they did back in the tos days in by any other name they they tried to make their way all the way to the Andromeda Galaxy, but um, the discovery is severely hampered when they're outside the galactic barrier because they can't use their spore drive anymore. So that is a an interesting plot point. It kind of takes that advantage away from the ship.
2: Well, and I they they did they did say if you remember in the episode they were fully stocked and loaded with and totally yeah. supplied. So, yeah, I think they're the going to be to out see. there
4: for a really long time. But I, you know, it's it it, it 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 would be interesting, Jim, because the the idea of being outside the galaxy, you know, it, it kind of feels like they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily go down that road because Voyager has kind of already played out that part. It's more like I think they're really just going to focus on who is species ten C, and what do they mean to the overall um, lexicon of Star Trek lore, because there's obviously a lot of stuff going on. I mean, we haven't even talked about the galactic barrier, but there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here that could potentially feed back into both TOS and TNG era um, stuff from back in the day.
3: Oh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Let me Let me throw this question out. What species do we know that has traveled beyond the barrier?
4: Well... We have a few, in fact. Um, we know well, for sure that uh... Q. Well, the Kelvins come from beyond our our galaxy. so in by any other name and TOS, those are the ones who we first learn are actually from beyond the galaxy, and they steal the enterprise to try and like go back to the Andromeda galaxy. Is that the one you're thinking of, Charles? Nope.
3: Nope. We have never found out the origin of the traveler, yet the traveler can pass through the barrier and doesn't need the negative energy could have something I wonder if it's connect- I wonder if the ten might be connected to that species huh. interesting,
4: yeah. I mean, I was very interested in the fact that, Jim, I don't, you probably had a tack you wanted to take right now, but can we talk about crossing the Great Barrier for a second? Oh,
2: absolutely. Hello? Go for it.
4: Okay, cool. Okay, cool. So so crossing the Great Barrier. So there are three TOS episodes where we cross the Great Barrier. Or excuse me, not the Great Barrier, the Galactic Barrier. Not the Great Barrier. That's the one in the middle, the Galactic Barrier. So we have where No Man Has Gone Before, which was the first aired episode. uh, That's the Gary 7 episode. And um, what happens in that episode is when we cross the Galactic Barrier, anybody who has a high ESP rating or an ESPR rating – sort of this sixth sense um, gains these kind of godlike powers, right? So that's something that yeah. doesn't happen in Discovery that I'm, that I'm very interested in talking about. Uh, we also have um, the TOS episode, uh, Is There in Truth, No Beauty?, which is the episode with the Medusans, You'll remember that's the one where Spock wears the fancy goggles to make sure that he's not driven insane by looking at the Medusans. And they actually crossed the galactic barrier in that episode uh, because uh, one of the characters, Maverick, uh, or Marvik, excuse me, actually kind of takes control of the Enterprise and takes them across the the Great Barrier, or excuse me, the Galactic Barrier, (laughs) Want to make sure I get it straight. And then also in TOS we have By (laughs) Any Other Name, which is where the Kelvins, actually take us across the galactic barrier on our way to Andromeda Galaxy. And we actually spend the entire episode outside the galactic barrier, and then um, Kirk eventually turns us around. So in none of these versions do we have um, little bubbles of space that we can hide in. Uh, we do have, uh, you know, our shields are severely compromised. we got to, like, reinforce things. We need Scotty to perform his magic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in this discovery episode, we kind of add this extra layer of these kind of bubbles of normal space that happen within the galactic barrier, and I'm, I'm curious in what you guys thought about that, because to me, it just really stepped outside the lore that we know about the galactic barrier so far.
3: Well, it well, was also in the POS era. Maybe the barriers evolved over time and that's an easier way we can enter it because we didn't as much need some of the special shielding ability that we do now
2: well Tarka did say that if you entered the barrier without applying programmable antimatter it would fry your frontal cortex didn't he make a comment like that
4: he did make a comment like that, and that was a little bit different from the kind of um, the high Esper rating uh, more that we had from uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which is how Gary Seven and, and his female counterpart there, like, got their powers, was just simply by crossing the galactic barrier. So, granted, there's... But did they, actually, that, like,
6: cross, did they actually some crazy cross stuff it, Did Did they, they actually it? cross
4: yeah,
2: it, or, they or actually, did they turn around and come back?
7: No, they... I thought... That, I, I, you, yeah, I thought ahead. they crossed the barrier because at they, the very end you saw them like warping to the Andromeda or something like that.
4: Well, in that particular episode and also in some of these other episodes we're talking about, they actually do cross all the way through the barrier and then eventually turn around and come back. So, yeah. there's Remember in that episode in Where No Man Has Gone Before, they're looking for the, the uh, kind of flight data recorder of the USS Valiant, which, uh, which went over the barrier. And uh, so, yeah, there, there's just these, like, psychological effects that happen to people when they cross the Great Barrier that are not acknowledged by, by Discovery and all. And I'm not saying that I'm complaining necessarily about that, um, but it's just, like, they didn't, they really kind of changed the lore up just a little bit in this episode to me.
3: Did we have any problems tra- when the traveler came into the cross?
8: Mm-hmm.
3: Well,
2: I, I think that um, I mean when they when they crossed the barrier. If you think about it, they would have had those same problems coming back, right?
4: Yeah, they would have, and they're they're glossed over a little bit. Like, when you watch those old episodes, you know, I mean, eventually, uh, you know, Kirk turns around in the Medusa episode, and they just kind of come back through, and they don't really show what happens as they go back through the barrier. But but as they go through the barrier at first, you know, everybody always has these, like, psychological effects that sort of happen, and these purple light things that happen. And, and Discovery sort of touched on that a little bit, but it's these bubbles of space that was a little bit different, and that... I actually kind of liked as a plot device because it sort of is like, uh, okay, our shields are down to two percent, but we can hide inside this little thing that kind of gives us safety for a while and helps us float through the barrier. So from a in terms of like moving the action forward, very very cool and like very interesting. And I'm not I'm definitely not criticizing it. I'm just wondering about the difference between like why would they choose to change it so much, and make the journey across. Uh, the galactic barrier is so much more perilous than it already was in these TOS episodes,
2: because it's a three-hour tour and they're not coming yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're <laughs> because, right, man.
3: Because maybe you are. Because right.
2: the the bubbles, if you well, first of all, I want to I want to before I mention that the bubbles made me think of the episode with the giant space amoeba. Remember that one?
5: The giant mm-hmm, cell totally.
2: floating in space, and then. And I thought it was cool how how your vision went to black and white when they were inside the barrier. Uh, well, not black mm-hmm. and white, but it, it changed. I thought there was something wrong with my TV. Uh, but then Saru <laughs> says something about your optical receivers or something like that. Some techno babble, um, which I thought was pretty neat. But but Stamos points makes a specific point of saying there's a bubble forming in the current that will carry us in. So the current, I'm assuming the current is flow, flows in but doesn't flow out. So they wrote <laughs> yes, the bubbles well, in, and unless there's a way for the kelp, the, whoever they are, to help them get out, they're not coming back, at least not the way well, they went the in.
4: Right, exactly. What you're saying, Jim, but the opposite. They're, the bubbles carry them out of the galaxy, but they might not be able to get back in,
2: right? That's what you're yes. saying. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I, think, I think there's, they had to create something. Otherwise they, um, and again, I don't know what's going to happen in the next season. I didn't even watch tonight's episode yet, but by not creating that, that, that mystery, um, it alleviates the fact that, Oh, we'll get there and we'll just turn around and come back. So right. now, now the whole concept of turning around and coming back has been taken off the table they can't just turn around and come back like, like Kirk did in, in TOS because the bubbles only go one way. So
4: well, But wouldn't they, have, why, wouldn't they have to explain that? Like why it's different from TOS? I think it's
7: because I, of all the ripple effects I, from all the time travels or the uh, Q mess-ups probably change the boom. galaxy a little bit. It could be because of all the warp drive
2: which distorted space. I mean, there's a million techno, yeah, sure. technical reasons okay. why you could, you could explain this. <laughs>
4: we, can, we can babble this away, no problem.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's <laughs> yeah. blah, 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 blah. But I think that's yeah, why you know they I- did that. Because <laughs> yeah, if you think about wanna it... I want to also
7: mention... Yeah, I, I also want to mention think about, it, about
2: what... Oh, 10C is over there and they're destroying our galaxy by mining borite. And we're just gonna we're just gonna bop on over there, ask them to stop, and bop on back. And there's no, where's the drama in that? But this way, oh well, we have to get inside these little bubbles and ride the current out of the universe and into this other place. And the little bubbles only flow out and not in. So now we're over here and we're stranded on a three-hour tour. We got to find our way back. It creates some drama that wouldn't be there if they just had to turn around and come back.
3: I guess. Hmm. You Which know, might be um, a for the end of the season.
2: Very well could be. It Very well could be. But there was a couple well, other things I wanted to talk about before we run out. Oh, go ahead, David.
7: Well, I was just going to say um, th- the idea that the show is called Discovery. I think the show is going to continue on following Discovery, even if they couldn't come back. So we might explore a strange new world in a different galaxy. If they continue that way, so I don't know. It, it'd
2: be it would be interesting if they if they do that, uh, but I don't know. I have I don't have a magic crystal ball. I, I'm just you know a fan making up stuff like everybody else. Uh I, I wanted to ask you you guys or Eric, Charles, somebody, what did you think about this uh, Adira coming back and her little little interaction with Stamets? I I thought that was you uh, know. They-
4: I thought, I thought their reaction with Stamets was very cool. I love how Stamets kind of um, is being the parent. And then uh, who is it? Is it Saru or somebody who says, you're doing a good job to him? And he's Burl. like, thanks. <laughs> oh, no, it's Burnham. That's right. It's Burnham. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so to me, there's that kind of, um, you know, Adira is a post-teen but not quite adult who also uh, is dealing with their own kind of emotional stuff around not having gray there uh, as their support system. So I really liked that scene. And I liked that it was a kind of an individual one-on-one thing between Stannis and Adira, and it didn't actually involve Culber at all. I thought that was cool too.
2: Yeah. yeah well, that's because colbert was, was giving dating advice to Saru. Oh, right. oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it works. Really. And, 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 well, what did you think about Burnham and President Rillick? With their little, they had a little, a little scene there, which I thought was was it was excellent too. Where uh, well,
4: it's like she watching her, it's like watching you know, two incredibly intelligent leaders play off each other, right? Because Rillick totally sees it from the political side of things and Burnham totally sees it from the like military ship side of things. And it was very cool. I think to watch them play off each other and decide what the best way to proceed was given both of their, um, their purviews, you know, what, what each one of them was actually in charge of. They, they came up with a very clear and concise deal very quickly (laughs) to help guide them throughout this mission, which I thought was really cool. And it just like it, 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 I just love Relic. She's just one of my absolute favorite characters. I love her political savvy and watching her play off Burnham here was fun.
2: And one of my favorite oh, okay. scenes in, in there is when when they're on the bridge and they're making the announcement that Tennessee uh, is about to wipe out Earth and and Navar and Titan and Rillick is like, no, 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 we can't do this. And Burnham's like, well, we have to do this. And Burnham has her make the announcement. And then she says to her afterwards in the ready room, well, why, why did you have me do it? And Burnham says, well, you know, at times like this, the crew needs to hear yep. from their president, and you're my president too. And I was like, wow. Yep. I, to me, that was like, that, that was like wow, that's just how true could you be? Yep. You know, and in times like that, you need to hear from the leader. You you, you need to hear that. You need that re- that assurance from a leader. And when, for Burnham to say, well, and you're my president, too, it was just like that hit home for me anyways.
3: Go ahead. Yeah, Go ahead, I Charles. I think, realize, I think it gives us a chance to realize that the president still is the president. And even though she's on the ship and passed her duties on, she's still that she's still a figurehead. And I think we want to work. And I like how Bur- she and Burnham kind of agree. It's like okay, Burn's the captain, but she's still a diplomat, and we want to work on working those together. That she needs to make sure she shows her diplomatic skills, and that she can lead this crew to.
4: A yeah, I mean, to me, Charles, this show is showing more than any other that I've seen in a while what the value of a political leader is. I think that in this yeah. country, we have a tendency to think of political leaders as lame ducks or as people who, like, actually don't have any power. But I think what Discovery is showing us that if you have a political leader who actually has, like, strong convictions and is consistent in their um, in their view people will rally around them and and people like Burnham kind of realize that and are smart about that and are using that to their advantage. And I, to me, that is, that's why I love this particular episode because it's mixing that kind of political savvy of DS nine and modern day 21st century real life politics in with what's going on with discovery. I really dig it.
2: That that was a great scene. And the last thing I wanted to talk about is Tarka. Tarka's backstory and the whole the whole thing with Tarka and Book, where Book's going to leave him behind because he disobeyed and all these people died. And they have this this little tension, and then they get over that little tension, and we get the Tarka backstory. And uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what did, did were you satisfied with Tarka's backstory and for the reason why he's doing what he's doing? <laughs> what can
4: can I just tell you that um, last week, Jim, it's so funny because last week I complained so hard about that. Do you remember? I complained.
2: That's
4: <laughs> I complained. why I,
2: I – completely... this is exactly why yes. I brought this up. <laughs>
4: I think my words last week were, why do I care about Tarka? I don't know enough about his backstory to really care about him. So <laughs> So to me, <laughs> this was the fix. This was the fix for that. Um, we got all the backstory we needed. Right, Charles?
3: We got the backstory. Am I happy with it? Not completely. I still think there's some holes. I'm still a bit confused what was going on. I think their golden scientific item I think was a little bit over my head. Like, okay, you've got this mathematical formula in their head and they're passing numbers around. Like, okay, whatever. I got two geniuses sitting there. Talking high tech babble, and I think God sees it. Like, I still don't quite understand the transporter. I'm still not exactly sure what they were trying to do. So it's an interesting backstory, but I don't think it quite satisfied what I was looking for.
2: Well, I I was under the impression I might be wrong, but I was under the impression that that transporter was going to transport them to the alternate universe. Well, not the alternate universe, yeah. but this. This Shakhiree place or whatever it was called in this uh, another universe is what I thought, and Tarko booby trapped yeah. it because he was actually working for Osiris. He was a spy, and that's why he felt so guilty about what happened. I mean, maybe that's I'm right. reading into it too much, but that's what I got out of
4: it. No, no, that's exactly what the what the plot. Uh, identified and then Tarka felt terrible about it once uh, his friend got kind of beaten up and he, and he revealed that he had betrayed him, you know, essentially. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like this does humanize Tarka a little bit because it it just shows that people are kind of willing to do anything when they're under extreme duress and slavery, you know, I mean, they're willing to turn against their closest friends and he feels terrible about it in the end. Uh, and, of course, he ends up spending the rest of his life, at least up until we know right now, trying to find a way to get back to this universe where his friend uh, presumably may have eventually made it. I sure now- I sure hope that they give Tarka a um, – like, I hope that they give him this in this series. I hope that they eventually do send him there. Um, because he needs a little bit of character development right now. He needs, like, somewhere to send his character, because right now he's irredeemable as far as I'm concerned, and they need, they, like, they've softened him in this episode, but we still need to know where he's going and why
2: he deserves to be there. Now, is, is his friend from this other universe, is that how he knows about it? Or did he just cre- just just find it and decide, I want to go to this place?
4: I think he just found yeah. it and
2: decided he wanted to go there.
4: There was there was no indication that he was from there or that he knew anything. He just like when they talked about it in this episode, they just talked about it as a this kind of magical place. And his culture yeah. right? the, the his the race of his culture like thought knew about this place as a sort of Garden of Eden place. So maybe his culture can like travel to that universe or something? I don't know.
2: So I got two more points that I wanted to bring up here and then I want to get our scores. So, uh, Eric, what did you think about the Admiral Vance President Rillick exchange they had before she left?
4: Well, once again, it's the two extremely intelligent leaders sort of um, feeding off each other and you know, Rillick, basically says, listen, I'm the one who's best qualified to go on this away mission with Burnham and the gang. Um, You're just going to have to be cool with me leaving everything in control of the vice president. And by the way, we have not yet met the vice president. So we, we don't know who that is as far as I know, but uh, Vance, you know, kind of reluctantly agrees. And I think that's what a good military leader would do. You know, he's the leader of Starfleet his president has come to him and said, listen, I need to go away. I need you to follow this person instead of myself. And Vance is like, okay, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it because I'm a good soldier. So um, I felt okay about it, and, and I felt okay about Rillick's reasons for wanting to go on the mission because I do believe that she's the best qualified to be there should they make first contact.
2: And it was great to see an admiral who isn't a bad guy or a dink, I thought. So far,
4: uh, well, you guys all know this already, but Vance is my absolute favorite Starfleet admiral of all time. Um, He's cool. He's calm. He's collected. He knows what's up. He's living in a hard time. He looks sharp in his uniform. Uh, I just love everything about Vance, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Now they need to make a Star
7: Trek attack wing card. There you
4: go. I would love it, David. I would play it every game. (laughs)
7: I think our
3: word for it
2: is he acts a little more human. Yes, he does. Not letting the
3: he power does. He does. Yeah. And, and
2: when when Discovery leaves and he's watching Discovery out the viewport and he says "Godspeed" as as Discovery leaves, and I thought, wow, this guy's yeah. pretty cool. I like him. He's cool. So the last he's thing so I wanted to good. ask you guys uh, about, and again, I haven't seen tonight's episode. Okay, but. Book. Is Book able to come back from this? Are, are we going to see the Book Burnham Bridge burn, and Book is going to either die or something? What do you think? Can, is there any way he can come back from this? We, I mean, probably hey, me, I'll, I, I'll start still off. Still I, I Burnham, personally I, I see him, I see Book uh wanting to do the right thing you know i saw book you know he stood down to burnham and tarka said to hell with you and did what he wanted anyways um you know he did steal the the uh uh, transwarp mycelial device and put it on his ship He, he you know book did cross a lot of lines and burnham did tell him that and if you take the Isolinium, that's a line you cannot come back from. And he did it anyways, and he's been he's been, you know, on the outside looking in through pretty much this whole season. And we don't know what's going to happen in the end, but can he come back from this? Is the question. You know, I don't know Jim. should gonna, he come I'm back from the this?
6: Same thing.
4: I'm going to say the same thing that I said last week, which is that I think we're destined for a big loss here. And they have sent Book so far down this rabbit hole at this point. And he has had so many opportunities to work his way out of it. And he has refused every single one of them. I just don't see how they can pull Book out of this. I think that they're going to, we're going to lose Book. And it's going to be a huge tragedy. And it's going to be a huge thing that, like, affects Burnham in a lot of ways. And I'm going to be super sad because his ship is amazing and what happens to Grudge and all kinds of, like, questions that I have. But I just don't, like, they're going to have to really play some amazing tricks with the plot here if they're going to bring him back from where he's been. Because they, even in this last episode where finally he was, like, he was going to drop Tarka off on a planet, right, and just sort of maroon him there. Well, that got turned around, too. And so now Book is, like, happy to keep Tarka on the ship because of excuses or whatever. So I just don't, I just don't see how they're going to pull. Honestly, like, Book's reaction to Tarka has been one of the things that I have liked least about this whole plot uh, that's going on right now. Because, okay, I believed it at first. The guy's planet got destroyed. Really super big deal. But is his thirst for vengeance so deep that he needs to follow this guy to hell and back. And he's even like Book has even brought up his dad. Sorry I'm just on a rant here, but like Book has even brought up his dad and like why he feels like he is different from his dad and this and so. so they should be able to redeem Book, but I don't see how they're gonna do it plot wise. Wow. That was a lot of words. But I Well that's how <laughs> I
2: feel about it.
0: <laughs> well, let me
2: let, let's go back let me go back to what I was saying. As of right now, Discovery rode the bubbles through, but not Booker. Book Book and Tarka are still on our side. And so you very well could have Discovery over there, Book over here, and they're separated and they have no way to get back together again because of the bubbles and the barrier and stuff.
3: Yeah.
2: Yep. You know? That very well could happen,
3: um, but I, I, I but do I want to point my, out one uh, thing
2: though. Grudge uh, is on Discovery with Burnham, so Grudge is safe. <laughs>
0: <whew>.
2: <laughs> right. I do want
7: to point out one thing really quick about uh, the Discovery going to the, uh, the Andromeda galaxy. Um, this is a really quick thing to put in everybody's mind. Do you think each galaxy in the universe is its own separate mirror universe? <laughs> nope. Well, that, that's interesting. No, I
4: think there's a difference. Well, I, personally, I think that there's a different, and th- we actually talked about why we call it the Kelvin timeline instead of the Kelvin universe, because I personally think that there's like, you've got one big universe, and in the universe are multiple galaxies. And so the Andromeda galaxy that's happening right now is happening in exactly the same universe as the, the you know Milky Way galaxy that's happening right now. When you go to the mirror universe or when you go to an alternate universe, that's an entirely different set of equations there. So the Andromeda galaxy that's in the mirror universe is a different Andromeda galaxy from the one that we have right here. So I don't think that galaxy and universe are synonymous, right? It's like the galaxies are all contained within a universe and then the universe is changed. So the the Kelvin timeline is actually our universe, but with a different, timeline based on what happened which you could argue creates a different universe too but yeah there you go that's my take on yeah.
2: <laughs> well let's go a little bit further we know that stamets from from season one of discovery is able to ride the mycelial network to all these different multiple universes i think there was 260 something of them um that existed that he could go to on the mycelial network but the mycelial network doesn't exist in the Andromeda universe.
4: Well, in the, no, let's, let's, I said, I said Andromeda. Andromeda is the next galaxy over. They didn't say that in the show at all. Where they are right now is they are in the space between galaxies.
2: So they haven't. Sure really and there's, a there's, something. And yeah, there's no the mycelial network there. And there's no there's mycelial mycel-
4: network. So I, right.
0: Yep. So yeah. there's
2: no mycelial network there and Stamets was able to ride the mycelial network to the mirror universe, the Kelvin universe, all these different universes that existed uh, running parallel with ours, that would tell me that whatever's on the other side of the bubble barrier is not running in parallel with ours. Otherwise, Stamets would be able to access it with the mycelial network.
6: Correct.
2: Right? I would agree. So we'll have to wait and Uh see. But anyways, guys, Unless we they went... They we could went somehow right.
7: use the Marsher network once they get there and they find out, oh, it's another road. Just in between, the original no road. And so, I don't know.
2: Yeah, we'll <laughs> have to wait and see. But I think Eric's on to something. I think that by putting Discovery there, it takes away their advantage because if you think about it, having the spore drive kind of makes the ship, I mean, takes all the drama away because, boom, they can go anywhere they want within a half second and be there. Whereas yeah. if they're in this other universe where they can't do that now that changes the, the playing field so we'll have to wait and see but we did go over a little bit but that's okay because we had we had a lot of guests we had a lot of fun we talked to a lot of people and so that's all right we went over a little bit um so our our fans gave it a 7.5 so uh eric what what do you give this episode
4: Uh, I'll give this episode a seven. Lots of backstory, but nothing
7: too exciting happened. So, solid seven.
2: Seven? How about you, David?
7: I'm going to have to go with a 6.8. 6.8? Yeah. All right. It wasn't too exciting, but at the end, it got potential. And how about you, Charles?
3: It's interesting because I think I'm going to split the episode... An average is 7.5. So I'm going to give the Parker side about a 7. I'm going to give the Discovery side an 8. An 8. I think
2: I'll go with the all
3: fans right. at a 7.5.
2: Right? And, and uh,
3: you
2: the know? People. I think I'm right around with the fans, but I'm, I like the little, I'm going to go with around an 8. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed a lot of the moments that were in the episode that I mentioned already. So I'm going to go with an 8. So we're, we're. Right, consistent with the fans yeah that's pretty cool so listen guys on sunday you can tune in and hear uh, paul and eric's full um and unedited full and uncut version of their uh, wine tasting fireside chat number three and guys you guys can look for a link for that and uh we're going to be having uh, Trek Talking 2 as well, Sunday at 7.30. Uh, we're only going to be an hour this time because we don't have a premiere to talk about. But, but speaking of premiere, I think I want to talk about the premiere. What do you say, Eric? Uh, we'll have to chat. I, I don't want to talk about the episode, but I want to talk about the premiere, the the virtual part.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk... For fans that didn't get to go to it or fans that didn't know i want to talk a little bit about about the virtual premiere and what we did at the premiere and and share some of our stories about the premiere not necessarily the episode because we're going to save the the juicy details and there's a lot of them for trek talking the following week i do want to talk a little bit about the virtual premiere and let fans know what it was like and and our experiences with that as well. And I do believe Shannon will be with us too. And which is cool because she was at the virtual premiere with us as well. So that's pretty neat. So you can tune in for that as well. So guys, that wraps up another episode, believe it or not. We went a little bit over, but that's okay. We, we didn't get to our convention calendar and we did have to cut some of our news stories out, but uh, you know, it 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 was well worth it. So I want to take an opportunity here to say uh, thank you so much to noah avabat catch for coming on and chatting with us a little bit it's always fun to uh to chat with noah uh the the uh andorian without the antenna thank you so much i also want to say thank you to greg sperrier and spencer brewer from star trek wines for sharing their stories about how they made the cardassian bottle very interesting i want to say thank you to ray for giving us a call tonight as well and thank you of course to david for hanging out and chatting with us thank you david
7: Yeah, you're welcome. That was fun.
2: And I also want to say thank you to Eric. We couldn't do the show without you. And Paul, thank you to Paul as well for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric.
4: You bet. Always a great time.
2: And thank you so much to you as well, Charles, for hanging out and Trek talking with us.
3: Oh, always a blast. And great talking with Noah.
2: And I'll tell you what, I am looking so... I cannot wait for next week because I'm at the bit to talk about Picard. It was that good, but we got to wait till next week, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about, because it was good. So you guys can go and watch it right now. Actually, you can watch it a couple of times. I've already watched it twice. I'm sure I'm going to watch it at least two more times, and so we'll have a lot to talk about next week. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and we'll see you guys same bat time same bat channel next thursday thank you so much for listening hailing frequencies are closed please everybody be good to each other and stay safe good night everybody
3: night all let's see what's out there engage